A good director's output could, should come off as versatile, refusing to be slotted into the expected and easily sorted folder, etc. It seems Kirk Wong, after opening more traditionally with the club, fought like this, as evident in his um, horror comedy Lifeline Express that we covered last episode. But we track back to movie number two, the special mind-slash-genre-bender Flash Future Kung Fu from 1983 for this second installment on the director's series covering director Kirk Wong. I'm Kenny B. I'm Tom KW. And I'm Sylvia Rohn. Welcome to the 10th installment of the director series and the second uh, that covers director Kirk Wong. Uh, and uh, who is that third voice in the intro? Not the least uh, least voice in the intro. Well, it's Sylvia Roram, a familiar voice on the network as she's contributed podcasts, work behind the scenes, helping out with translations on our various Taiwan noir shows. But uh, She's a centerpiece of movie fandom over at Facebook as she posts and contributes regularly to the awesome Heroic Sisterhood Facebook page. I should give it its full name, full name really. Heroic Sisterhood, the Ladies Action, Asian Action Cinema Appreciation Society. And she's a blogger in her own right. So before I gush a little bit more, welcome Sylvia. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for inviting me. Excellent, excellent. And I invited Sylvia because I, I consider her a friend and I consider her invaluable in many ways. Uh, but she, since she's a big fan of uh, actor slash filmmaker Johnny Wang, uh, and in the show post, by the way, there is a link to her Hong Kong Godfather podcast that she did for the network. Um, so she's a fan of him, certainly of Kirk Wong's second feature, Flash Future Kung Fu. So with that passion, friendship, and sense of fun merged together, I, I thought it would be very fitting to have her on this particular episode as co-host. And, and yeah. I, I, I rarely call anyone a guest here, uh, uh, especially not since you've actually contributed to this episode as well. So uh, you're, you're co-host in my eyes. Thanks. And and uh, don't don't feel any pressure as such, <laughs> you know. Okay. You know entertain, entertain us now. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'll let you speak more eloquently about your endeavors on the, the internet uh, after the contact information that uh, comes uh, right about now. And this is the director series on the Podcast on Fire Network website for this, all the other shows and bonus episodes. Podcastonfire.com. Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. And we are on Facebook as well, like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. Join the Facebook discussion group that you can reach via a link on that page or type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box and, uh, and request to be added and uh, you are usually in. I haven't rejected anyone yet. 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 <laughs> I, I, am, I am the Hitler of the network, so uh, you, know, you never know Everybody when I Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that about you. Mad with Facebook power. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And we are also on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. So you get Stu's tweets over there as well. I do writing over at sogoodreviews.com, various Taiwanese movies, category free, exploitation, erotica, horror, and also Taiwanese black movies uh, mixed together. And also do little video reviews over at sleazykvideo.com and tweet about a whole lot of nonsense surrounding that and music and what have you at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. The Director Series is on iTunes, and if you download your podcasts via iTunes and subscribe to us via iTunes, please leave a little star rating and even a written comment if you like the show and have a minute or two left over in your busy day. That would very much be appreciated. And uh, to those who have left uh, comments uh, on various uh, shows and what have you, thank you very much for your, uh, for your time. And you can also stream us via Stitcher if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device. Uh, download the application to your iPhone, iPad, Android, or BlackBerry. And once you're in Stitcher, type in Podcast on Fire Network, and that should give you the option to add each show individually. Tom, Tommy Boy, B Cinema. Plug, plug. B Cinema, yep, I'm there. Right in, doing things. Have a look. Check it out. And it will be a will be a link, uh, a short link based on <laughs> a short plug and a short link short to plugs. your to your review archive over at the Random burst of words. Yes. <laughs> uh, and over to you, Silver. You have uh, two endeavors, uh, I would say, over at uh, one one in one in blog land and one in Facebook land. Yes, in the Facebook land endeavor, you've already mentioned it's facebook.com forward slash heroic sisterhood, where me and a, Five other women um, discuss Asian action cinema because we love it too. And we like to talk about, you know, bad hair and some other serious things as well. So it's really a mixture of all different things. And because we have so many women contributing at this point, we are getting a lot of Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, Hong Kong, um, you know, all kinds of different things. So I like having the input of other women because every woman brings their their own strength their own interests you know so so it's it's kind of a mishmash at that point it doesn't have a a very strong focus where say other pages you know oh, i love jackie chan and so that's you know what you're getting with heroic sisterhood you don't really know what you're getting at this point so but i enjoy doing it a lot i have fun with it that, that's our main goal is to just have fun with it um i also do have a blog. I used to be really active. I kind of stopped for a while. You know, life gets in the way sometimes. And I just started to do a little bit again. Um, I'm Achilles Girl in Actionland. And that's AchillesGirl.blogspot.com. Excellent. And uh, yeah, you, 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 you all are doing a great job about the heroic sisterhood. It's always, uh, it, it, it is fun, but it, it is a mismatch of fun and serious topics and obviously a mismatch of the genres and movies as you said so, so it's always a joy and I, I enjoy seeing uh, any of my friends uh, display passion towards a project or a um, an aspect I mean in this case the Facebook page but also the various aspects within it so you it's a fantastic uh, re- fun and relaxed uh, uh, read whether it's a picture or an article or so you know, regardless of the focus, uh, you're, you're, you're doing a smashing job over there. So, Thank you. Uh, today, I mean, uh, at the time of recording, I mean, they, we, um, I think I read, uh, it did, this link was posted everywhere, I suppose, but the Vietnamese uh, censorship issue was posted over to Rose Sisterhood. So, I mean, it's, um, uh, you, you have such, you, you have such a following now, so it's um, good to 
bring to light serious topics as well, mixed in with the hair and pants and whatever you discuss <laughs> about Asian cinema. I agree. I agree. It is. It is good to. It, it is good to bring those those issues to attention. I'm actually shocked. I just want to say that you say we have a following. I'm actually shocked that we do have a following, because when I started originally, I. I thought, oh, I'll never even get 100 people, oh my god, you know, and now we're up over 900, and uh, and it, it's just amazing, like, all these people from all over the world, and and one thing that I, I have to say I'm personally proud of is that um, we have tons of people from Hong Kong mm. following our page, and that, that to me is awesome, because it, to me it shows that we are doing something of quality with Hong Kong cinema, quality enough that they that, that a lot of people from Hong Kong are showing interest in our page, and, and that I like. Um, we have also some followers, like I'm, you know, I'm going to brag just a tiny bit here. Fung Hot On follows our page, as oh. well as Billy Lau from the Vampire Movies. <laughs> so I was super excited about that. It's just dumb, but you know, there there you go. I, I scrabble for the little things. What can I say? And when we get uh, uh, Taiwanese actress uh, Lucia Fan following our page, my life would be sort of complete. Yes, you'll feel so happy. We've made it. <laughs> my, my movie wife has finally found me. Exactly. You know that showing, it's going to be showing in London or Toronto somewhere? Yeah, on the big screen. Uh, well, they're doing a uh, Taiwanese uh, movies, uh, not retrospective, but they're featuring them over at the New York Asian Film Festival at the end of June. Oh, uh, a few of her movies, and uh, and uh, they got uh, one director um, uh, in attendance that directed some of these uh, uh, classic, crucial Taiwanese movies. So, uh, really jealous of uh, the people who get a chance to uh, take part of that um, that uh, program they call Taiwan Pulp. Oh, yeah, about, uh, the New minute Asian I saw Festival. that, yeah, I thought of you. I thought, oh God, I wish he could be there. You know, <laughs> smashed the piggy bank and realized, yes, I can't go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I wonder if they pursued Lu Xiaofan because uh, she's obviously alive and she's still in the spotlight and all of that. But um, you know, it, it's not like they uh, had to settle with the director of some of the most crucial Taiwanese uh, social realist movies ever made. It's a uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, booking. So. Uh, that as uh, th- th- this show will uh, probably come out in a few weeks' uh, time, so maybe it's uh, in the beginning of July. Uh, you hear this, but regardless, it's uh, be- beforehand that event is fantastic, and even afterwards, I'm sure it will remain fantastic to think of. Uh, anyway, we are moving on to the main bulk of the show: disgusting, discussing, not disgusting, <laughs> discussing flash future <laughs> kung fu. It's not disgusting at all; it's wonderful. Uh, so before we go into this episode's content, he- here's what you can expect. Uh, we will have biographies and some chat about actors Johnny Wang, Edico, Ray Loy, and then the good old review slash discussion slash roundtable on the film will occur. And if you want to skip ahead to any of those sections, uh, running times are written in the show post and description that you can read whether you're downloading it from podcastonfire.com, iTunes, or Stitcher. So... Um, so if you don't, if you're not interested in 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 actors and acting, then uh, jump ahead to the review. And if you stick with us, thank you very much. Uh, but uh, anyway, first of all, a little plot from uh, the Hong Kong digital review of the film by John Charles, which is my co-host on Taiwan Noir. In the 21st century, major technological breakthroughs have been made, but instead of improving things, the advancements only destroy the work ethic and spawn social unrest. 
As a result of a growing animosity among the working class, a group of Chinese neo-Nazis called the X-Gang rises to prominence in Hong Kong. Clinging to the old ways, a kung fu schoolmaster, played by Ediko, tries to steer his students away from his drugs, from the drugs and mindless violence that now consume the era's young people. Fighters Gay, I never heard his name in the movie, so apparently he's called Gay, G-E-Y, so there you go. Uh, played by Ray Loy and Killer, played by Johnny Wang, get mixed up with two of the female fascists and the latter nearly dies as a result. A gang of Nazi skinheads proceed to trash a martial arts school and their leader announces a plan to lobotomize the masses as a way of ensuring total obedience to the party. Killer and the master invade their ex-gang's headquarters and along with one of the women who has repented her ways in, in, the light, uh, in light of the fact that her three-year-old daughter will soon be surgically altered, the three of them try to put a stop to, to them, to this whole madness. Good on you, John, for actually putting together a plot. Uh, I, I, I'm so crap at, at um, detailing this stuff. I know what the movie is about, but uh, good on you, John, for, uh, for summarizing this as well as you did. Uh, but the uh, background to the film, I mean, we don't have access to any uh, extensive behind-the-scenes um, stories about the film. Uh, we, we certainly didn't pursue Kirk Wong, although I would love to just sit down with Kirk and, like, ask if he remembers, like, who, 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 what, and how? Was it you? <laughs> who, whose idea was it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and maybe he's looked back fondly on the film. I certainly hope so. Uh, uh, the interviews I've seen with uh, Kirk, yeah, it's always uh, been... Uh, Kind of a charming fellow, and always honest fellow. I mean, I know he talked about uh, crime story in multiple interviews, and always was, you know, critical, but in a good, honest way about how his relationship with Jackie Chan and how it altered the final product in terms of crime story. So, uh, but we'll get to crime story in the last episode. So, uh, that, that's Kirk. But let's uh, let's um, hear what Sylvia has to say about Johnny Wang, which is a bit of an idol in. You have many idols, I'm sure, Sylvia, but uh, I know I Johnny Wang is is a bit of a hero. Of course. Who wouldn't idolize him? I don't understand who wouldn't. Okay, he was born in 1949 in China. Um, I'm not sure what his real language is, whether it's Mandarin or whatever, I don't know. He was a fighter, obviously. Um, in school, he fought so much that he could... He got kicked out of school forever and ever. <laughs> wow. For beating... <laughs> Beating a, a kid so bad, he was expelled. He went to seven different high schools because of his problem with fighting. So um, he actually, after he left school, um, he didn't really want to work. I mean, can you imagine him working in an office? You know, that doesn't really work out. So his mother gave him a guitar, and he uh, loved music. So he became a guitarist in a band, and he was playing in a band for many years. He's married. He is a very strong family man. He has two daughters. Um, and he met somebody at a club that introduced him to uh, go down to the Shaw Studios to try out as an extra. Because he was doing boxing also on the side. So he was a boxer. He doesn't have any martial arts training that I'm aware of. But he did do a lot of boxing. So kind of like, you know... Kind of like in the movie, doing underground fighting matches, much like we actually see in the film. Um, he went down there and was chosen to, you know, sign up as a, as a fight extra and decided that he really had to get his shit together because he had a really bad temper 
and you know he was just pretty out of control so he decided I want to do this I want to make movies I want to be in movies and I got to get my shit together so that I can do that and he did so he made his first debut as we know in Chang-Chi's Five Shaolin Masters in 1974 and he became a heavy you know a villain really quickly and he started appearing in like five Shaw movies a year somewhere around there for many years as well as doing a lot of independent kung fu films so obviously the man we're seeing in this movie has a very heavy fight background himself um and at the time that this was filmed he was he was already a one of the top shaw brothers studios villains um he and lung gaian uh beardy were very very close friends he met him very early on in in his uh career and they became very very close friends so in 1981 he gets his only chance here in um flash future kung fu why do i say 1981 is that wrong i don't know 83 83 the movie was made right yeah, sometimes the years are that far apart. You look at IMDb, sometimes it says 81. You look at HKMDB, it says 1984. Sometimes you never know, but yeah. it's it's 1983 on Hong Kong Movie Database, and uh, it has a release date of October 83. So uh, let's go with 83, I suppose. Okay, so 83. This is his only hero role that anyone is aware of, which is, that makes it super special <laughs> for Wang Lingwei because he was always a villain other than maybe Marshall Club, you know, he, and he was certainly not the star. So this is probably his only starring movie, and it's also his only hero movie. So if you like Wang Longwei, you gotta see this movie. Um, he did a lot of uh, independent movies while he was at Shaw, stuff like Two Toothless Tigers, and, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, he also then got into action choreography. I have a sneaking suspicion that he did the choreography for Flesh Feature Kung Fu, and I'll talk about it later, why, mm-hmm. if you want. Um, and then he started directing, as we all know, he started with This Man is Dangerous in 85, and did Hong Kong Godfather in 86. They continued to direct until 1990, um, doing some pretty hard-hitting action movies, very hard-hitting. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think even... Um not to be an ass and correct you or anything, but I think uh, it's uh, I think his last movie is ninety two. Escape from Brothel, I think, was ninety two. If I'm not I'm mistaken, sorry, but, uh, totally right. Uh, and 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 that's a movie to go out on. I mean, it's uh, it's it's not a cheap um, you know sex romp or anything. It's dark and it's punishing, and uh, you know no 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 happy end at all. And uh, I I can't remember any Johnny Wang movie he directed that had a that had a thorough happy end. But uh, I've not seen the likes of Innocent Interloper or well, yeah, that's actually a comedy, and the yeah. happy ending is kind of a happy ending, but it's a comedy. Hmm. So it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all of his other stuff is very dark and, and, and very hard-hitting. Um, and he continued to act in the 80s and 90s, and then I think he did some TV when he was older. I remember seeing a TV promo shot years and years ago. And I never really pursued that. I haven't looked into what he was doing, but I'm pretty sure that he he did some a little bit of TV. And he finally stopped appearing in films around 2000, 2001. Um, and as far as I know, nobody even knows what he's doing. I've tried to, you know, uh, Google him on the Chinese internet, and I haven't really gotten anything. He did attend one of those fan get-togethers where you meet people 
around 2005, there are some pictures that have been all around the internet, and he's one of the people there, so, you know, that's 2005. But anyway, um, he is considered to be, by many people to be one of the best villains in mm-hmm. Hong Kong cinema. Um, so maybe for, you know, people who aren't very aware of him, probably his most famous roles would be maybe the wine connoisseur in Dirty Ho, where he fights against Gordon Liu. That's a um, very famous movie. And he's the northern kung fu expert in the movie Marshall Club, where he again fights with Gordon Liu in the alley fight, which is a very, very famous fight. And he's done a lot of really great stuff, but I think those are the most popular. Yeah, no, it's it's him being put to use in those particular movies uh, that I enjoy the most. Uh, Marshall Club in particular, I don't think he was an all-out, you know, dirty villain in that one. No, I think, he was uh, a good guy. Yeah, yeah he, exactly. was, he was a good guy in that. So, I mean, uh, it's uh, Lau Garland certainly gave him... Uh, a chance to work with more substance, more character depth, uh, rather than just uh, calling him onto set, placing him like a you know a puppet in the scene and fight and then go home. I mean, uh, it's, he, he seemed he, he seemed to he took the chance to be involved and, and he ran with it. I mean, it's a very memorable martial club in particular. That that alley fight scene, I think it's as the scene goes on I think it gets narrower and more narrow and more narrow and uh, those two are absolutely amazing in that uh, in that one yeah definitely and Ken you're you're totally right I don't know why I had Widow Warriors as big as last movie it's not there was Angry Ranger after that and Escape from Brothel and he did produce the shit fest Baroness from 2000 horrible movie Directed by Law Wing. A lot of people think that uh, Wang Lungwei directed that. He did not. It was Law Wing. Wang Lungwei did produce it, however. So that's actually the very last one. So thank you for correcting me because I was totally off base. I, my notes I, are all messed up. I'm sorry. I, I kind of... Um, I, I'm, I like my crap, but I, I still have a trouble... I had trouble watching crap from that era, if I'm being really honest. Like the late 90s, early 2000 era. And... and it, it, you know, you, you, you got to support Hong Kong cinema, I suppose, in a time of crisis, which that was. But uh, it's not easy to sit down with any, any old crap from that era. Uh, you know, tr- track back five, six years. No problem. <laughs> you know, I'll take on anything. Uh, you know, and any low-grade low category free movie, any crappy action movie, I'm, I'm, I'm there. But that era, uh, it's, uh, it pains me a little bit. But uh, uh, Hong Kong cinema has rebounded, obviously, since, uh, since that uh, critical era. There's tons of actors and action performers and filmmakers you're a fan of. I'm sure you guys can agree. But uh, and, and Wang is, is one of them. Johnny is one of them. And uh, I, I can't write a lot about him. I certainly hugely admire him on screen. I admire his skill as a filmmaker. Because he has, as Sylvia said, favored that tough, gritty, nasty violence really effectively. He was really good at choreographing it and making sure it came through in movies. So... Uh, you got City Warriors, you got Hong Kong Godfather. I mean, this man is dangerous. You know, it's it's a movie named after him, in English anyway. Because he is scary in that movie. I, he's always big, he's always villainous. You, you, you can sense fear in certain movies, but, you know, compared to this man is dangerous, he's a sweetheart in certain movies. <laughs> right. Uh, it's wow! Um, it's it's an uneven movie. It's a crappy comedy, and then it ends on some shocking, violent tangents, like Hong Kong cinema usually does. But um, <laughs> uh, it's a Shaw Brothers movie. Unfortunately, this man is dangerous. No Hong Kong Godfather got a uh, 
local DVD release. Hong Kong God Father did get a US DVD release, but um, uh, through a funny uh, Funimation, I believe. Yeah, Funimation. Yes. Uh, this Man is Dangerous only appeared in that uh, crappy-ass uh, Sea Eagle box that uh, crammed in tons of movies in even below DVD quality because they crammed in so much in one space. Uh, uh, so This Man is Dangerous was part, was part of it. It, it, has, yeah, it has trickled out on the internet, obviously, since then. Uh, so uh, unofficially, so so go out and look look up this man is dangerous. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Uh, but uh, I don't know if he could have developed into a viable leading man as such. Uh, he, I like him in Flash Future Kung Fu, but he's not one of those guys, and I'm not putting him down at all. He's not one of those guys that you could see develop into. In, Character roles would have been his thing, you know, supporting character roles throughout his career. I think uh, he was always destined to be that. But uh, it's a it's a pretty neat little slot to be sorted into, despite, I think. I mean, especially when you do it well and uh, provide the energy that uh, Johnny Wang uh, definitely does. And uh, and again, Marshall Club is... Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I mean, it's from Lau Garland, who was a proper filmmaker of... Uh, he made Kung Fu action, but he was a proper filmmaker at the same time, meaning there, were, there was more to his movies. And uh, Marshall Club certainly fits into that um, for my money's worth. Definitely. Anything in general, Tom, about uh, Johnny Wang? I mean, you he's one of those guys that you've seen tons of movies um, of his, but, um, you know, it's hard to dislike him. Yeah, yeah it, it, definitely um, a guy I've seen more in kind of sporting supporting villainous roles throughout the late 80s um, throughout the kind of late 80s like uh, Millionaire's Express and Project A2 and Tiger Cage um, but stuff that, that obviously throughout seeing stuff for the show um, seeing him stuff kind of bigger roles like uh, Brothers from Wall City um, oh yeah stuff that like that actually, that we've done um, the show yeah is, we've, uh, uh, we've did that uh, you weren't on that Nam Night Choice show uh, yep. which was our first but that, that, that's a good call it's a uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's he's got a yeah. meat role in it as well, which is which is um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting interesting film and an interesting role. So yeah, I'm starting to see more of him in kind of starring roles than I did uh, in the early days of kind of sitting down with Hong Kong cinema. And even when he appeared in uh, certain movies um, at Shores, it wasn't always fighting. Okay, I know only of one example where he didn't fight, and Five Venoms, he plays uh, like the magistrate of a judge, and he doesn't throw a punch. At all in the movie, um, right? When Which is very, get... very unusual. <laughs> very unusual. I mean, you you expect him to, okay? It's coming soon, but no. Right. It's... If Wang Lung Wei shows up on the screen, you know that he's going to punch somebody. And uh, he he, he, he only follows like blindly like Wei Pai's uh, advice in terms of how to punish the various uh, various venoms in that movie. <laughs> I always enjoy that he's very easily manipulated. So Wei Pai says, "Build the Iron Maiden." We will, <laughs> you know, and they, and they do. Uh, for Invincible Shaolin, when they got together, uh, the whole team again, uh, Wang Dongwei uh, did get uh, plenty of fighting action. So, yep. Um, so that's I suppose uh, jo- Johnny Wang and uh, Eddie Cole stars in this movie as well. And uh, I again, I'm I'm losing count about on how many times I've said certain faces are reliable and comfort presences in Hong Kong cinema, but it's true. I mean, there, there are so many from comedic performers uh, to, to action performers that, that I just find uh, 
pleasant to to watch and uh, a joy to watch as well and Eddie Coe certainly fits into that as well he's going on his fifth decade as a working actor and action actor and uh, certainly recognizable thanks to a pair of very expressive eyes that which has you know served him well in tons of kung fu movies uh, in the 70s at Golden Harvest uh, independently in Taiwan and at Shaw Brothers but being present and around like it was uh, he and jumping through studios and uh, and to independent projects, it's uh, he got to appear in a whole lot of key stuff, like uh, Choi Huck's debut, the Butterfly Murders, uh, he's in, and uh, in uh, Patrick Tam's like kind of introspective Wu Pian, the Sword, he has a, a notable role, and uh, even versus uh, Wang Jiang Li in his directorial debut, hit uh, and his only directed movie in Hong Kong. Anyway, I think he did. Uh, something in Korea, Wang Jung Lee, but uh, the movie in this case is is Hitman in the Hand of Buddha, which is a pretty kick-ass little film. Uh, aside from um, you know the twenty minutes of comedy with Fan Mei Sheng, it's uh, it's a very cool cool <laughs> film. Uh, but uh, it, it's a Hong Kong movie. Even Wang Jung Lee realized that that you gotta mix it up and bring in a drunken master to lighten stuff up, and uh, does it did. I've seen a German edit of Hitman in the Hand of Buddha that largely edits yeah. out uh, Fan Mei Sheng and it plays at 70 minutes roughly. Works so much better. <laughs> so. It's like a dream edit. <laughs> they, uh, Germany were very good at the time. They, they had many movies uh, going into theaters and they sat down and properly looked at these movies and uh, edited out in a very uh, considerate way, I would say. like Even like... Um, you know, traveling shots like people just running from place to place in endless shots that like, you know we, we can save 10 seconds here we can t- save 10 seconds here the comedy is annoying for 20 minutes we can save 20 minutes mm-hmm. uh, and they did it very well it's not um, very sloppy editing so i, I absolutely recommend uh, seeing hitman in the hand of buddha short and uh, how it may sound blasphemous but you know kung fu comedy not an easy task to get through even at 90 minutes sometimes. Yep. Well, many people absolutely love that. So maybe you and I and maybe Tom don't, but it's I know it's hard to believe, but many people love Kung Fu comedy. They will sit there and just laugh and cry and do the whole thing for 90 minutes happily, happily. And good, so I and think good maybe people them. like us need the German edit. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I love those options out there. I mean, uh, there's yeah. even uh, fans who put together uh, fan edits uh, to sort of complete, uh, complete the movies, you know, based it on the remastered edit and then get various sources uh, from elsewhere in widescreen. And there you go, like a composite edit of all the comedy. And, um, I, you know, it, it was market strength uh, back then. And uh, yeah. it Flash Future Kung Fu, to bring it back a little bit to it, certainly isn't adhering to any market demand at all. It's its own little thing and universe that happened once and never really returned to Hong Kong cinema. <laughs> True. So you didn't see, uh, you know, a Road Warrior Blade Runner type of uh, <laughs> movie on many occasions. There's a movie called Final Test, which is this uh, sci-fi action thing with uh, Austin Y and Yun Wah plays a robot in it. Uh, so he plays a prison warden that turns out to be a robot at the end. <laughs> oh my god, I need to see that. 
It's actually pretty good. I mean, it's a, a rough fall <laughs> half of a movie because it's uh, it, it's a uh, sci-fi prison movie, and uh, they do they do okay. I mean, it's it's a low budget one, so you you expect you know it's it's not like it's a big old widescreen epic or anything, but it it's it works well. I mean, I think. Uh, it, it has to overcome some comedic section. You have to overcome some comedic sections first. But uh, when it uh, passed that, there's some pretty kick-ass violence. And Yoon Wa as a robot. I mean, I'm not good at selling movies, but I think that's a selling point. In, in Just say Yoon Wa as robot is enough. <laughs> I uh, have to see it. It uh, was released on Joy Sales uh, VCD, so there should be a the uh, print of that should be in circulation, and it is subtitled as well. Thank you. So, uh, uh, recommendations uh, uh, from uh, talking of uh, Eddie Coe, who might have been in Final Test. I don't know. He was in a ton of movies, so you know. <laughs> He's been in everything, yeah. But uh, he got a chance to play a dramatic role in Heroes Shed No Tears from John Woo, which was a movie that was shot in around about 83, 84, but was shelled until... 1986 and re-released once director John Woo broke once about tomorrow became really really famous and uh, we talked here Shed No Tears on various shows and singled out Lam Ching Ying but I think Eddie Coe is really really solid in it um, he's uh, he relies a lot on silences and that yeah. kind of expressive acting with his eyes in Hero Shed No Tears I mean you, you've mentioned it specifically, Tom, a whole bunch of times uh, lately. Yeah, those puppy dog eyes. Uh, he can uh, <laughs> he does very very well with the, uh, the dramatics. Yeah, just conveying kind of a, a sense of sadness through his face and his eyes. Very understated, but a good performance. And um, of um, he continued to work in the nineties, obviously. And uh, out of all the many nineties credits, a global audience would see Eddie Coe as he. Um, he was in Lethal Weapon 4, playing uh, an illegal immigrant, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that was rather surprising, but it was... Uh, they already had cast Jet Li, obviously, so they were probably looking at some other, uh, other Chinese cast. And uh, Eddie Koh was picked up, and I think he spoke English. And uh, my memory is that he spoke pretty good English. Uh, but I haven't seen Lethal Weapon 4 since it came out, so it's, um, it's, a, it's a foggy memory of a pretty good film, actually. Mm. Uh, but also he's, uh, he's uh, in Johnny Toast Mission from the same time playing the uh, gangster boss targeted for assassination in Johnny Toast uh, the Mission. And uh, uh, I, you know, he's a guy who's looked the same throughout the years, and it's still true. He, and uh, and he's aged so goddamn well, and and looks great with grey hair as well. You know, he, he's he's still so expressive that his old age isn't uh, hiding any. Thing it just looks like he's got grey hair now, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. He has aged beautifully, beautifully in a very real way, and it's really he's a testament to how people can age beautifully and gracefully and completely naturally, and they don't need to do anything to themselves. And even recently, in a movie we covered on Podcast on Fire, he has a brief cameo in Mad Detective as the police captain or chief that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lao Ching Wan cuts off his own ear and gives to Eddie Coe as a present. Uh, and when that happens, I think that's the time when the title call comes up in Johnny Toe's uh, yeah. NY Carfi's Mad Detective. It's kind of well-timed that uh, he's cutting off his fucking ear and it's painful to watch. And there you go. So uh, that was uh, Eddie Coe's brief cameo and it's kind of memorable just because the scene is so literally mad, you know. Yep. 
So um, good, good on Etico. I'm, I'm getting get an itch to rewatch uh, Leave a Weapon Four now that I know so much about or more about Etico. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but um, we'll move on to another actor, the third third uh, main actor, that uh, third leading man, if you will, or supporting actor. And it's Ray Loy, and the Tommy's here to tell us about actor Ray Loy. Yep, yep, Chinese actor Ray Loy was uh, born in Vietnam in 1956. Fifteen years prior, Ray's family had emigrated from mainland China uh, to the country. But in the late 60s, deep into the Vietnam War, the family moved to Hong Kong and Ray's father enrolled him into acting classes there. And through TVB's artist training class, Ray began acting in small roles as extras in various TV productions throughout the late 70s until rising to fame with the period set show The Bund in 1980 and appearing alongside Chow Yun-Fat for the initial run and from there taking the lead role in the second and third series throughout the 1980s uh, Ray balanced starring roles in other TVB productions and smaller appearances in feature films working with director Wong Chung as Shaw Brothers for the early part of his career on a run of crime films until achieving leading man uh, status in the early part of the decade in such films as Air Disaster The Turning Point and Rape and Die uh, he appeared in two films with Jackie Chan in the late 80s, Project A Part 2 and Miracles, whilst where balancing was in, appearances. Where, where was he in Miracles, Tom, by the way? I think it was a cameo. It uh, was a cameo. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a cameo, because I, I remember, I can't remember him being in it, so I'm guessing it was one of the many, many cameos in, in that film. It's uh, one of those, like, Simon Yam appeared with Jackie Chan in a movie. What movie? Miracles. What? When? Like, <laughs> one second, like, yes, sir, and then he leaves the fucking frame after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, he was in that, and um, he balanced that with appearances in supernatural efforts like Crazy Spirit, Tough Action in Devil Hunters, and a romantic lead in What a Small World, which he also assistant directed. Uh, it's safe to say, like most Hong Kong actors of the time, Ray's output was nothing but diverse. And in 1989, he retired from the small screen at TVB and focused predominantly on his feature film career. Um, um, let me just stop you for a while. I think Devil Hunters, obviously, is the movie where uh, Moon Lee got the burn during the final burn, yeah. uh, stunt. I wonder if Ray Lloyd got... Um, uh, he was if he did that stunt or not because you never know you, at, mm. at that time they might have gotten him in there so I'm wondering if Ray Lowy was uh, present or injured during that incident or not but obviously he came out regardless you know um, whole just like uh, Moon Lee did uh, uh, no uh, permanent you know massive uh, scarring or anything no 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 um, but yeah he, he, his, his varied filmography continued into the 90s with a starring role as Crippled Ho a gang boss based on real-life triad Limpy Ho in, <laughs> in crime melodrama to be number one. Clocking in at nearly two and a half hours, it was an ambitious project to say the least, uh, drawing comparisons narratively to Brian De Palma's Scarface. Uh, Ray found time in 1996 to marry beauty queen and canter pop star Callie Kwong, his second wife, uh, for a highly publicized six-month period until splitting and news emerging their marriage had not actually been officially registered. Um, in 2001, whoops, uh, forgot about that. In 2001, Ray settled down with mainland businesswoman Yang Shijuan, or Yuan, and they've been together ever since. Ray's son born a year later. Um, at the start of the millennium, Ray bagged his first executive production credit on Triad Drama, Undercover Blues, and continued slow and steady output throughout the rest of the decade, often in supporting roles such as Wilson Yip's Flashpoint. Uh, but leading roles in Mandarin language epics like Macau, 1949, 
Uh, lately, returning to his roots, Ray rejoined TVB in 2009 and went on to star in TV drama called Born Rich. That is Mr. Uh, Ray Lovey. That is Mr. Ray Lovey. I wonder, he, he just seemed like the guy to pick after a while for your big epics, your bio, your biographical epics. Uh, uh, I mean, if, to me, he's a solid, reliable, handsome actor, for sure. I'm sure he looks, abs- yep. you know, the same, uh, exactly the same as he did when he did uh, uh, The Bunt, I'm sure. I haven't looked yep. at him uh, <laughs> since then, but uh, <laughs> pretty sure he did. He's changed just a tiny bit. Tiny bit. Uh, I'm sure he had a bit of a beard in Flashpoint. <laughs> bit of a beard. That's a that's bit a major change. That's uh, that's yeah. character acting for some, but uh, you know. Uh, so I mean, he, you know, that, that note I made about him appearing in the epics, the biographical epics. I mean, it applies to 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 be number one, and the other like big widescreen big tales like the Lord of East China Sea, Man of the Times. So I'm I'm sure he, I'm sure to be number one kind of boosted that. Um, Rec- that re- rep and uh, he certainly got recognition for to be number one it might be blasphemous I couldn't get on board with to be number one and I, I, I like Ray as an actor but I thought his performance in my eyes was annoyingly over the top uh, as the movie went on uh, really uh, mm, I, it was hard for me to get on with it I like a good gangster movie uh, but I realized after many years of watching them that I only like a select few of them and maybe even one or two it's kind of not my genre i mean it, it, if it's not good fellas it's not good enough <laughs> if you don't live if you don't live up to that now there's level, a statement <laughs> you know if you don't live up to that level i'm rarely interested um, as such so um, uh so, so but, but i'm fascinated about that um that, that he got those types of roles i mean it's he certainly has to look and presence to kind of carry uh, carry a real life character i suppose Yep. Uh, did any of you see to be number one at any point? Yes, I have. I haven't, so I can't and, comment. And and Ken, I have to say, I I really like it, and I like his performance a lot. It's not one of my favorite crime flicks or my favorite uh, gangster flicks. However, um, his out, I felt that his performance was outstanding. It did gain. There was a lot of acclaim for his performance at that time. Part of which was that he gained, I think, 30 pounds for the role, which mm-hmm. it's a little bit more than a false beard. Not a whole lot for Hollywood, <laughs> by Hollywood standards, but a hell of a lot for Hong Kong standards. And they were absolutely shocked and amazed that he put on so much weight for the role. Um, but I, I, I see what you mean with it going, you said as it goes on, he becomes more and more. But that is, to me, part of the story. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to become more and more tyrannical, more and more um, erratic. Um, there were some problems to me as far as the storyline because sometimes when we try to stick too close to making it, you know, it's like just kind of biopic, kind of pseudo biopic, um, they often miss the main point that a story has to have a reason to mm-hmm. be told. And that kind of doesn't, it just sort of peters out in a, in a in a in an unfortunate way but that is i think where a lot of his acclaim comes from and this is why he's um well known now at, as a as a little bit of a more complex actor i feel that uh to be number one is fairly underestimated as far as hong kong does not utilize their actors acting potential very often look at eddie ko mm-hmm. one of the most sympathetic actors he could have done so much 
dramatically, he was given nothing except for, you know, here, go kick this person really hard, you know, um, which he can do very well. But those eyes, right? He's got incredible eyes. He has great potential and he wasn't used. Um, Lai Long Wai was able to break through that a little bit by becoming, uh, by some of these roles that he did. I also want you guys to know that even though he's kind of known as a playboy or whatever, because he was married so many times, he has a bad <laughs> rep with that. However, he is a very devout Buddhist and has donated and worked with extensive like charity stuff and has really, um, really done a lot for charity. So, so good for you, you know. So anyway, you know, two and a half hours is a long time for to be number one. But I am personally in the camp that his acting in that was really, really good, even outside of Hong Kong acting standards where they don't demand a whole lot of an actor, I feel that it was very complex and and that he, yeah, I liked it, that's all. Oh, <laughs> I yeah, but that, that I can't recognize, that they definitely tried more, the entire movie tried more. Uh, so so I, I think it's a mixture of what I thought of his performance and that the genre isn't for me at all times. Uh, I remember the violence being awesome. I think uh, Tony Long Siong directed, viol- uh, directed violence. Yeah, he did, but he directed action, obviously. Uh, and he o- always does well, uh, Tony Long Siong. Uh, you know, s- speaking of someone who does uh, really hard action, I mean, l- look at stuff like Magic Crystal. As fun as that movie is, I love it. The action is really, really tough and hard if you look at it. Uh, Tony brought that, and it certainly fits uh, to be number one then right. as well. Um, by the way, go, go, going slightly back to Erika, I was reminded of a story. I think Mike Leader told it to me that, uh, and maybe it's known, uh, that uh, Erika worked so much uh, at one point that he didn't go home for like three, four, five weeks. Wow. So he slept in vans or on sets and just hop hopped from movie to movie to movie and uh, and the, that that that's probably true for Andy Lau, which I in fact Simon Yam at some points as well that they didn't go home for a while. <laughs> I, I wonder whether I can insert an anecdote about um, Eddie Coe. That, sure. Hey, this is this is a totally true story. Um, I was in a junkyard about six months ago looking for car parts. Okay, and. In the junkyard, of course, everyone, they always have the TV blasting in the, in the corner of, of the junkyard office. And I was standing there waiting for somebody to do something, and I was mindlessly looking at the television, and the guy changed the channel. And there's Eddie Coe <laughs> in an American show, and it's like a sci-fi show. Whoa. Playing a sort of a, in, remember in Blade Runner, um, there was the guy who made the eyes and the human body parts, and he was yeah, in that yeah, cold James room. Holman. Okay, 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 right. He was playing that kind of character on the show. Wow. And I was just standing there, like, oh my god, it's Eddie. This is Eddie Cole. Oh my god, like what? What? It became totally surreal. I felt like I had just dropped acid. I'm standing in this junkyard, watching Eddie Cole play this Blade Runner guy. And having absolutely no idea what was going on, it was a wonderful moment for me. Um, but I did go home and Google it right away. And um, turns out he, and I'm wondering after you mentioned Lethal Weapon 4, I think that he may have been invited to do some more American things because he was on this show. I, I don't know what it is. You can Google it. It's in Wikipedia for Eddie Coat. Um, I think 2008 or 2009 or something. 
um, sci-fi series. And um, he's also in some Hallmark movie in 2010. Holy crap. How, how I could know. I have missed this? And I I feel wonderful and warm all of a sudden. I, Eddie Coe is... He's here, so, you know. Yes. See, look at him. So he seems... My God, it was such a fantastic moment, especially, I think, being in a junkyard and being surrounded by huge stacks of broken cars. And, you know, it was, it was, it was already, you know, surreal. And then suddenly Eddie Coe is on screen doing something even more surreal. So it was a really fantastic moment for me. And, and I love him for that forever. So, yeah, Google it because he's done some... Uh, and a Hallmark movie? I mean, my brain just, like, falls out on the floor. And <laughs> turns wow. to thinking about Eddie Cohen, a Hallmark movie. But but what I can't help but think is maybe they're really utilizing that. Maybe they saw those eyes and said, yes, we want that. Mm-hmm. We want this guy. And, and I, as far as I know, he's speaking English. So I'm intrigued. I can just imagine him, him having, having a very, uh, very good, like, uh, majestic grasp of the English language. I can just hear, see that in front of me that he speaks very methodically and uh, and very eloquently. Uh, you know, I, 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 it might it might be like my fantasy currently, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, because sometimes you might not. You you hear. I heard, for instance, uh, uh, William Ho Hokakoi, this famous category free villain. I heard that, and he he he's an animal on screen. You know, an absolutely vile animal. And I heard that he speaks. Very good English. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if you, if I ever see him interviewed in English, uh, it would just be weird to hear him speak, you know, eloquently yeah. versus that screen image. So. Um, yeah, know, I think I would flip my shit if I heard him speaking English. <laughs> uh, so um, wow. Uh, but um, just to finish off my notes on Ray Loy, uh, a favorite movie of his um, of mine that he was in is uh, Andrew Cam's Fatal Termination. Um, nasty piece of work with him, Moon Lee, Simon Yam, Philip Coe, Robin Chu. You know, it's an action thriller that's mostly famous and uh, kind of why shouldn't it be for the scene where Mike Abbott is holding a little girl by her hair outside of a speeding car with Moon Lee on the hood trying to save her daughter. Um, it was apparently a safe scene, according to um, two actors of uh, Mike Abbott, maybe who was actually doing the thing. Uh, you know, good on your Hong Kong cinema, kind of, for doing that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, have you at least seen that scene, uh, guys, uh, or the entire movie? Absolutely, even? of course, many times, yes. YouTube material. <laughs> <laughs> you would kind of lose friends, I think, if you, if you like, screen that clip. Uh, like, uh, look, look at the movies I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But uh, it's not like the killer on screen or anything. Uh, uh, but uh, that's a nasty ass movie. Uh, many unfair deaths uh, in that one. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, underrated, underrated as hell. Uh, we're taking a very, very, very short musical break, and after that, we are going to uh, firmly dive into Flash Future Kung Fu and kind of uh, di- dissect it as 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 well as we can so uh, listen to some wonderful probably stolen synthesizer music (laughs) from the movie (laughs) so we'll be right back you're good at that stuff uh, Tom uh, picking out uh, music that's stolen from uh, from uh, various artists did did you recognize any? I didn't recognize anything mate no I think uh, I don't know where it's all from maybe it's library music but it was all uh, thematically fitted very well I thought I I got one guys Uh, Paul Taggart 
recognized it. It's Velvet Underground, Shiny Shiny Leather. Uh, is played in the club. Yeah, they're using Velvet Underground. That's that's their st- their stolen music of choice for this movie. Maybe the scene where they drowned a girl on stage. Maybe it's uh, that it? yeah. So one of them, one of them. No, no, not the not the girl that they when they drown her on stage. That's part of the theme music that was written for the film. However, um, there is a club scene earlier on, and I think it's where that guy in drag lifts down the takes the shirt down and then goes ha 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 and laughs because he doesn't have any breasts. <laughs> I think they're playing shiny shiny leather in that scene. I'm not really sure exactly what scene. Well. Wow. Did you need to hang up? And- yeah, yeah, I just got caught up in the music here, so I'll yeah, keep yeah, that. So I'll, I'll keep that bit actually. So I'll, I'll, I'll do this. Come back to that. Yeah. We'll be right back. That's my editing point. <laughs> uh, it's all fast and loose sometimes, uh, but it's all good. Welcome back, and we have reached the review discussion roundtable thing of Flash Future Kung Fu. It's a, it, it's a, it's an odd ass movie, but it still deserves this kind of forum, a roundtable discussion on Kirk Wong's Flash Future Kung Fu. <laughs> I just imagine us sitting in a studio setting like the Charlie Rose show, where everything is black around us, and we just have a you know a table table there, and there we are. <laughs> Do you think Kirk Wong would ever think that this film would be getting discussed in this year on a podcast? Um, I'd like to think Kirk is cool enough to think that people like his movie a lot, so and and know that uh, technology is what it is, and um, you know maybe his guest wasn't this year, but uh, obviously he knows his technology. <laughs> this film, you know, this film <laughs> exactly. as an example. <laughs> uh, you know, I I I would love to pick his brain, as I said, just just to ask him. Do you remember shooting Flash Future Kung Fu? But yeah. It was my dream project at the time. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, like, tell me more now. <laughs> I was on a lot of drugs at the time. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have had my phone with me, so I'd just record him right there, you know what I mean? It would be an instant podcast uh, right there, so... Yeah. It would be, uh, so, we'll go back to Flash Future Kung Fu. First brief opinion of the film, and we'll start with you, Tom KW. Flash Future Kung Fu uh, is a thoroughly uh, bizarre film, which at times almost feels like Kirk Wong's stab at you know an art house kind of experiment. It feels like he was given three topics to pick for his final project at film school and chose neo-Nazis, new romantics, and cyberpunk out of the hat <laughs> and just dropped it into a, you know an insane kind of pastiche, pastiche of a period kung fu film, but dropped into a you know Mad Max aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Crazy and and therefore good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, therefore entertaining. I need to probably see it seven times to make a, you, a, a you correct should. assumption. And you should. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, if you look at the start of Kirk Wong's career here, I mean, we, we can put it in a little bit of perspective now that we are three movies in you and I, Tom, in terms of this series. You know, he clearly opted for and um, was handed. Uh, unusual products 
for this yeah. new wave era of the early 80s in Hong Kong cinema, where, where you had social dramas, you had exploitation, and both were very harsh, gritty, sometimes violent movies. Uh, Lifeline yeah. Express, uh, which I, I I know you haven't seen, Sylvia, but I definitely recommend it. It had, has this oddly different and creative dark atmosphere that you can't put your finger on, really, what, what it is it's doing. And I imagine when doing Flash Future Kung Fu, which I overall like a lot, this must have stunned the cast and crew, as no one was doing this. You know, it was not a trend, yeah. you know, it was not something that the cast and crew was doing on five other sets anyway. Uh, so, but, but I do really like it for reasons I can't really state other than it's entertaining and uh, I like the vibe of it. It's uh, this sci-fi action or martial arts movie that seems kind of subdued at the same time, which is not akin to boring. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so that, that, that's my brief opinion for now. Uh, what do you think about Flash Future Kung Fu other than the fact that you love it, I suppose, Sylvia? I do love it and in certain ways it is hard to describe why. Um, I want to say right now that um, I believe that both of the versions that are available have been cut for content. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing, a lot of, I have seen a lot of people make statements over the years that it's totally ridiculous, it's batshit insane, it's many other, uh, you know, descriptions like that. And I think the main reason why they're saying that is because it's been cut. I think at least 10 minutes, if not even up to 20 minutes have been cut out. I don't know the original runtime for the movie in the theater, but that would be an interesting thing to see. That's something that I have not done. Um, and I can tell you why more later of where I think it's been cut. Mm -hmm. um, I want to bring to people's attention that this was nominated for six Hong Kong Film Awards. Oh, holy crap, I did. Best picture, yeah. best director, <laughs> best screenplay, best film editor, best art director, and best music. Excellent. Now, the art direction is something that is very unusual for Hong Kong cinema at that time, especially the kind of budget that was being, you know, in the early 80s, there wasn't, you know, a whole lot of budget as we know, and that's one thing that's enduring. However, in this case, the art direction is insanely good. Mm -hmm. They have, uh, this is, as Tom pointed out, a sci-fi um, ideas dropped into a traditional kung fu story, kung fu movie. Um, so part of the dilemma here is, is, you know, East versus West, old versus new, tradition versus modernity. And this is just one of the many um, movies that explore that issue. And so this is a very serious traditional kung fu movie. And so in the art direction, you're seeing the blend of East and West. It's quite remarkable and interesting. And if the film had not been so badly butchered, um, however it did arrive to Ocean Shores and Taiseng, so badly butchered, I don't know how it got that way, but it has been. And I think that's something that we really need to take into consideration when we're watching the film. And if you watch closely enough, and if you've watched as many times as I have, because I love the batshit insanity of it, um, there's so many endearing things um, that regardless of whether it's been cut or not, it's the kind of thing that I really absolutely love about Hong Kong cinema. And this is Hong Kong cinema up to 11 on a lot of levels. So um, regardless of the cuts, there's a lot of great stuff going on in it. Anyway, and, and I think that's why it has kind of stayed 
popular in Western circles anyway. Well, we've certainly got a um, it got a Tai Seng DVD release, um, so so thankfully it got some exposure uh, to uh, that DVD release. I don't know how if the Hong Kong releases promotion shows were a tiny bit longer or anything, uh, but this is about seventy seven minutes, which is definitely not. Um, uh, full length. I mean, uh, if you just look at length alone, if you know your Hong Kong cinema, you know they were not, um, you know, alternating between uh, alternating between 140 minutes for a kung fu movie and uh, 68 minutes for a comedy. Uh, it was pretty much you no. Know, 90 was a very, very, very standard. Yeah. Uh, you know, exactly. they, they, they filled as we talked about with Hitman in the Hand of Buddha. That movie is has filler and the filler is comedy clearly <laughs> because you can yeah. cut out uh, c- cut it out and still have the narrative but here it's uh, you know I-, I can follow it it's no problem following it but um, mm. I noticed at least one instance where a definite cut is uh, we'll talk about that uh, yes. but this is the second time I watched it in like a seven eight year span uh, which sounds like a crime because I like the movie but sometimes you you know, you you don't uh, you don't complete the circle until very late. You know, you you don't uh, get uh, do a return visit to your favorite movies until uh, years later. Sometimes. Mm. I feel I feel just think, taking into account that it was nominated for so many awards leads me to believe that the dub and cut has created the insanity. That maybe there was you know a kind of an insanity there. Kind of not not so when it's eight to eleven, but maybe there was a certain kind of vibe there. But the Dublin cut has, has taken it up and then created the madness, and it's created the the scatter shot, but almost kind of dreamy, you know, Lucio Fulci like narrative. You know, as things things kind of come and go without any real uh, kind of story taking place. Um, That's because of the cuts. Yeah, and I think it's it's either you know I don't know whether this is either enhanced or you know diminished diminishes the film uh, the fact that it's in this dub um, but maybe that's what's created the legend of this film of, of Flash Future Kung Fu because of the dubs and cooks and that in its in its um, the original title is not health warning uh, I've been led to believe it's um, you translate as fight in the ring Sylvia yeah it's it's Daloy Toy which is fight in the ring that's the same yeah. name so, as the movie Gallants also it's mm, called Daloy Toy also uh, um, it means fight in the ring, and that's yep, the so. Name. So as yeah, I mean as 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 you point out that I think maybe in in that version of the film and, and the, it's the original state that it's not this kind of you know acid trip which is the double no. and the cut version, right. you know seventy so minutes is. Right, exactly. Even the cut version, the Ocean Shores version is only it's an hour and twenty minutes, and that's not long enough for a Hong Kong movie. And the one thing that um, us as uh, viewers of the English dub who don't understand Chinese um, have to deal with multiple times on uh, on movies is uh, when they open with a uh, a text scroll setting up uh, whatever they're setting up and uh, it's usually not translated. Same here on the Ocean Shores version. They don't uh, put in a voiceover or anything. Uh, so my question kind of to you, Sylvia, is uh, you looked through these two opening scrolls they appear at uh, two separate points during the first two three minutes what do they set up or does it make the movie any clearer in the shorter in its shortened cut state it doesn't make it a whole lot clearer i think that most people have already done a very good job of figuring it out if you want to look at it i did translate it and put it on my blog 
Um, and that would be under achillescurl.blogspot.com slash future kung fu prologue. Is that correct? Uh, I, I put it there. Um, pretty much, yeah. It's a, it's a pharmaceutical uh, civilization. It's supposed to be that, you know, uh, there was an, enor- an enormous advancement in science and technology, and so what happened was people became kind of like uh, super lazy and sluggish, and society collapsed, and everything stopped moving, and people became decadent. Okay, and the youth were attached to these um, martial clubs that were run by the government, um, and they're using these underground boxing matches. And then Outside of this is the um, Eddie Coe's Martial Club, which is the upright Martial Club. And this is representing the old ways, the old traditional ways. They are uh, re- kind of rebelling against the government. And they're kind of, uh, in the card it says that uh, the, the Jing Martial Club has upheld their mighty task of developing orthodox martial virtues. So uh, many were trained under their strict, sincere rules. So um, all it's saying is that this powerful uh, government, or they don't even say what it is. They call it the Culture Society, which is this uh, you know post-apocalyptic neo-Nazi thing. I was hoping that these these prologue cards would would explain the the, the Nazi symbols, and they don't. No. But you know, I don't know. Just throw them in. Everyone's supposed to know that it's bad and the technology is bad, so it's Nazi, if that makes sense, which it must. <laughs> wait, 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 they certainly don't, doesn't make yeah, them um, compelling villains or anything, it's, uh, or compelling surroundings to be in. I mean, clearly the neo-Nazis anger is uh, the easy way out to kind of be, to kind of, to yeah, kind yeah. of live and not struggle in this world, which is, you know, serious tangents enough, if you will, but uh, uh, I agree this version doesn't do it uh, the movie any favors, and it starts with how Ocean Shores decided to dub this movie, and I'm not talking about about that they dubbed it in a goofy manner with uh, voices that are high pitched. What they clearly did or didn't have was a separate audio elements, because the or- the dub is m- literally put over the movie, not inserted yeah. into yeah. into the movie uh, into the audio elements like a dub. Sh- usually is produced, that they deliver it with audio elements for the foreign dubs to be inserted into it, and rather than it being dubbed over the whole goddamn thing. So what you have is both the literally the movie going almost quiet while the English dubbing is going on, and you also got new effects. Sound effects that uh, sound and, like a, a stapler for the punchy kick sound effects. <laughs> yeah, the beginning and opening boxing match, which you know is set is well set up, because you get a shot of I might be mistaken, but uh, Kirk Wong pans his camera from, you know, hanging flesh, it looks like. And then he pans over to the actual underground boxing match. And it's like, whoa, are we in Leatherface's lair? What's going on here? <laughs> but what's with the boxing effect, people? So yeah. you're kind of like, it definitely takes you out of it, unfortunately. But I, I love the little, you know, hanging meat combined with the underground boxing setups. like... Hey, this I've not seen this in a Hong Kong movie. Kirk Wong, I like what you're doing. Keep you know, keep on doing that. Keep on creating gritty, low budget surroundings because clearly, Kirk Wong and the team, the art directing team and the crew are very apt at um, uh, utilizing 
they're low budget really well. I mean, the world is set up pretty well uh, and designed. Um, yeah, it is designed well, uh, which I really, really like. Uh, I, I have some notes uh, in the latter scenes about what the design choices are like, but uh, it, it's a very cool mix. So, you know, the sci-fi with the very traditional martial arts uh, school and values, as Sylvia said. So it's a uh, it's. It's a nice setup. It's not doomy and gloomy as such, but it's not a laugh riot either, which is thankfully the case. You know, it's it has a vibe that I think is entertaining and insane to a degree, but it's not like I laugh at it like I laugh at a, I don't know, a seventh curse or what have you. It's not uh, wacky and clownish and gory or in that regard. It's uh, clearly Kirk Wong is aiming for a darker post-apocalyptic feel, which is evident to an enough extent anyway where you can appreciate it uh, but it is obscured by length uh, the lack of uh, full length the cropping of the of the of the original frame and obviously the ocean shores dubbing and ocean shores by the way if you hear their various own produced dubs on their laser discs and their tapes they uh, they were not good they, they they were worse than the kind of worst dubs you can think of sometimes it's just was bad bad and annoying <laughs> uh, so that's a that's a like a little setup uh, setup of the world uh, we, we we talked about liking uh, Johnny Wang and uh, it's him he is in the lead and he is the hero but he also kind of shares the screen with uh, with uh, Ray Loy and Eddie Coe to an extent more Eddie Coe and him but uh, you know going over to you Tom uh, do, do you think Johnny Wang could fit a leading role if he be given if he'd been given a chance, or is it evident here that uh, he probably isn't a good fit, but he's fine in the role kind of thing, or what do you think? Mm, it's um, it's a bit of a sort of toughie. I think I think um, he he's he's good in the role. I think it helps that it's almost kind of like a dystopian kind of future, and it's a bit dark. Although it's not too dark, it's you know it's a bit dark, and I think it it helps from to, it's. To, to, to him to be somewhat of an anti-hero in a kind of anti-heroic you know society almost um, that he kind of fits and I think it helps that you know uh, Raylo is there for the first part of the film and then I, I think it helps that he's there with Eddie Coe but I think in the, the latter kind of half an hour and it's just kind of him on his own doing his thing um, it fits really well what, what helps in the latter part is actually that the movie is you know amped up to 11 during the last 20 minutes if you will so it's it's not like few it is and therefore Johnny Wang's contributions are obscured thankfully it's not that I mean he is fine in, in the role and uh, and um, yeah uh, the, the batshit insanity obviously takes place and I think Kirk Wong is having a little bit of fun because our training montage is the, uh, the is borrows the, uh, a few cues <laughs> from the club? <laughs> uh, well, well, I'm thinking more of the when he chops down all the trees in one. Oh shop. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, you know it's it, it's fun. I mean, you 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 haven't seen that. I, I don't remember if you've seen any type of sequence like that, Sylvia, where a man, the leading man, just chops down trees just, over and just over again. Chops the shit out of trees. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so fantastic. My friend Steve Hardy actually made a video of it. And you can get it just by Googling Wang Long Wei's epic battle. And he made a video <laughs> montage of, of Wang Long Wei chopping the shit out of all of these trees. And that to me is, 
is, is, is sums up one one way right there. It's brute strength, and and it's awesome. It's like it's Wang awesome. Long Wei versus the Rainforest would be a great <laughs> movie, you know, yeah. if it got in a bad guy role in that thing, you know. He's coming. He's taking down the Rainforest. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it's excellent and this is one of the things that so endears me you know to the film I, I adore the film for that reason and for some other scenes that are similarly charming in uh, around about this time in the movie we, we get a first uh, look at uh, where one of the main inspirations uh, lie I suppose for Kirk Wong I mean uh, I'm sure there are plenty of ones but it, it's impossible not to think of uh, the road warrior and to an extent Blade Runner when when uh, and especially the road warrior when uh, the car approaches and picks up uh, picks up Ray Loy and Johnny Wang and this I don't know it, it's a it's a bizarre scene because all of a sudden they're it seems like they're kidnapped but they they go into the car that's and that's uh, where something has obviously been cut yeah yeah because they are knocked unconscious by the gas in the in this wonderful car that they have and then all of a sudden. Uh, Ray Loy is walking into his martial club with a bruise on his face and three guys come in a couple seconds later um, to be treated for their wounds and one of the guys says and where were you just now mm-hmm. in an angry way obviously there's been a scene completely cut out um, and so yeah it makes no sense they're, they're, they're sitting in this car you know chatting chatting up these girls and <laughs> And then they're gassed. I almost thought they were. Uh, they, I, I wonder if they, uh, when I first watched the scene, are, are they um, gassed with, you know, marijuana smoke or what's going on here? Because <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's almost it's almost bizarre because it feels like when I was watching the scene, like they know the girls, like they met the girls previously, um, but they just meet them for the first time, so they get inside their car. It feels well, like they're kind of getting picked yeah. up. It's it's odd. Wang Langwei had already met the the one girl. Yes. Um, he had saved his her daughter, and so oh, she. Oh, was she in the bathtub scene? Yes. Yeah. Yes, the famous red underwear scene. <laughs> yeah, we we glanced over that. Famous bare ass scene. <laughs> yeah, which is another just why charming scene. Uh, so he already knew her, so she pulls up. You know, the the, the girls obviously have designs on them, but we won't know what it is because it's been so cut. I, uh, I I love to speak of the fact that the dubbing in this car scene is particularly horrible by Ocean Shores. You, you see a shot of Ray Loy uh, just speaking. He looks fairly serious. And out of his fucking mouth comes, holy cow, what an incredible machine. <laughs> and like, I, I that didn't say, match. The, the, the dubbing in this film is abominable. Yes. <laughs> it's inexcusably awful. And also... Um, I know Ken, you had asked me if I could make any, you know, statement about the difference between that and the Cantonese. And like I said, I, I, I am not. I am so far from being fluent in Cantonese. I, I understand most stock phrases. Um, I can pretty much follow along the subject, but I, I lose a lot of it. So I have to say that um, the, the dubbing in in the Tyson DVD, that English dub, is uh, sometimes off topic. Yes. It's losing a lot, and it, it it only helps to make the movie even less comprehensible. 
it's it's like they they don't attempt to match at all the energy on screen by Ray Lloyd, which is is complete. It, it's not energy as such. I'm not saying it's bad, but he's just sitting there talking, and you hear the dubber times you know times one hundred times ten or whatever delivering what he does. You know, and 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 that dialogue, you know, holy cow, what an incredible machine. I mean, yeah, it but, almost seems like the dubbers did not have the film in front of them. Exactly, exactly. It's, they don't um, touch upon the narrative. It seems a lot of the time it's more kind of bizarre phrases uh, and things said between characters and the narrative's kind of left out of what's actually happening. Right. They're illogical. They're not following the content of the, of the Cantonese dub. Um, they're... Yeah, it's... I would, I would have to sit down and really, really make a comparison for... and really think about it for a long time because it's a very complex issue that's hard to pinpoint immediately what it is that's wrong. But I'll, I will say right now that a lot of what they're saying makes total sense in Cantonese. And then they would, then when if I watch the English dub, I'm like, what are they even talking about? Like nothing that they're actually that's coming out of their mouth makes sense with what's what their actions are right now. And I don't, I really don't know. I I, I almost wonder whether they even they had nothing more than possibly a film summary in front of them they may have done this. Mm. Which was done in Hong Kong as well, because uh, Ocean Shores was based in Hong Kong, so it's pretty safe to assume that it was done in Hong Kong, obviously using uh, English speakers and what have you. So, uh, Because they did these dubs for their uh, video releases, so on, on, both on Laserdisc and video and what have you. So, and um, uh, But the Ocean Shores dub as well, particularly, particularly painful, and definitely didn't make uh, sense in terms of... Uh, uh, you, you mentioned that they possibly didn't have the film in front of them. There is a uh, there is a movie called Nine Demons by uh, Jiang Jie, a uh, post Shaw Brothers movie, a uh, supernatural period movie, and they have characters that are called Steve in it. And it's like, <sighs> right, one. Uh, well, yeah, well, one is called Steve, maybe one is called Paul or something, and uh, <laughs> it's, it, wow. <laughs> but uh, on the subject of design, I mean, you, uh, I, I really dig that they, what they slap together here, and that's not a um, me looking down on the design. I absolutely am so weak for future sci-fi designs, especially in the 80s, I suppose, where the technology just seemed mashed together. I mean, you see it in this car where they add a lot of tubes and ducts, if you will, uh, yeah. mostly tubes, and that tracks back to, well, my favorite movie is Brazil, uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Yeah. Which has the same kind of aesthetics, especially in terms of ducts, because there's ducts everywhere outside of buildings, outside of um, inside apartments, and they dress them up. You know, they, they pimp them essentially just to make them a bit more pleasurable to be around. And and there's a lot of stuff in Flash Future Kung Fu where technology is kind of mashed together, so it doesn't look. It is sci-fi in design, but it looks recognizable. You you got recognizable elements from our modern world, which is really compelling I think and thankfully something that is showcased well here it comes through that the design team really was put into um, high gear by Kirk Wong which I'm sure had input and they wanted to push and showcase as much as possible they're not hiding it Uh, what they're possibly hiding is that they're shooting on very very small sets because there's a ton of smoke in this movie a ton of smoke I I think that's very true. Also, another outstanding set to me was the doctor. Uh, It's Eddie, Sifu Eddie. His his scene, his brother that he went to the same martial club, and this is the doctor, and that's um, Sangwai, the actor Sangwai. 
you see them in all kinds of kung fu movies. When they bring Wang Lung Wai to the doctor to cure him, um, that doctor's uh, house, his apartment, is spectacularly good mixture of old and new. Um, the set that they made for that is really, really, really outstanding. It's it's an incredible set when you look at the details and the things and talking about tubes and uh, neon lights and you know all kinds of interesting things that make it look futuristic. Yet it's also grounded in a very traditional Chinese medicine set as well. And I absolutely adore that set. I think the art directors were off the hook with their creativity, you know, especially given that they were probably had a low low budget. So I think they fully deserve to be nominated for an award. I'm glad that they were mentioned uh, or noticed uh, rather at the time because it, it could be a movie that, um, and, and therefore the movie must have been noticed to an extent where it was in the public's eye possibly, definitely in the critical uh, critical world they, they knew of this movie. It didn't go away, you know, after its fifth day in the cinema. Maybe it did, but at least critically it stayed in you know, stayed in the eye line of uh, some people, so uh, it's, it's very cool. Certainly, six nominations would show that it was was even, being critically noticed. Even classics that all of us love barely got any nominations. Sometimes, if one, you know, so it's a, it, it's a, it's quite an honor and uh, well deserved. What do you think about movies like that, Tom? Oh, well, maybe that's a dumb question, but do do you like the design choices here, where it isn't, you know? Uh, you know, sci-fi for 400 years in, into the future type of technology. It is recognizable technology we got on screen here. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a you know dystopian kind of edge which fits the um, the kind of cyberpunk notion quite well of high tech and low life. Uh, you know, it's kind of grounded in reality, kind of gritty, kind of grimy, kind of like a lot of the buildings in it, but with kind of sprinklings of technology. Um, you know, sprinklings of film noir as well, with a lot of the, the kind of darkness to it. But I genuinely think Kurt one used some of the sets from um, the Buggles uh, video, killed the Radio Star video, <laughs> uh, to film some of his stuff. It has that similar kind of import you know, that shit to us. We need it. <laughs> that similar, you know, cardboard and smoke vibe, almost naive but charming. Um, early '80s look at the future to what you know what would become, which which looks kind of dated in comparison, but then was kind of you know, cutting edge and look like, you know, uh, an honest take of the future, which which I really love. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, as Silver said, yeah, I think it, it truly deserves to be. It's, it's very different from a lot of Hong Kong films, uh, you know, of the time. I mean, and, and since then, there's not a lot of the Hong Kong films that touch upon this kind of strange dystopian land, uh, for sure. Yeah, as I said, I can only think of Final Test. I mean, it's not similar to Flash Future Kung Fu at all. It's not a copy of it, but it really is um, sci-fi, period, is rare at this time in Hong Kong cinema. And it's not very touched upon even today. I don't think uh, Hong Kong really aims for sci-fi a whole lot, unless I'm forgetting... 50 movies made during the last five years that was sci-fi. <laughs> you know, Which I, I, I could do. <laughs> I, I, I don't follow current Hong Kong cinema as much just because I don't have time, but uh, clearly um, the, the, it was not their uh, kind of uh, genre to fall back on, clearly. The only one I can think of is um, isn't 2002 set in the future. Will, uh, um, yeah, a little bit. Uh, good call. Yeah, good call. Yeah. Yeah, I can think of. The Westless Mysterious yeah. Files, possibly. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's not, 
it's not this kind of you know sci-fi is not touched upon a lot mm. if 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 really uh, the the um do, do you guys remember now I'm forgetting I, I thought I had it but I, I I forgot it now the set where the arcade machines are and the mannequins and the naked women on top of the arcade machines is that part yep. of the entire like uh, main room the main complex where they also have the musical uh, musical uh, act it looks like it yeah it looks like it because yeah, that's I thought uh, that was maybe a club yeah because it's all smoky so it's uh, kind of hard to see where uh, figure out where something ends and starts and you know what movie. I don't think that's a mannequin and I wanted really to point wasn't. out <laughs> that that was actually cut out from the uh, Ocean Shores laser disc there was definitely one there's definitely um, a lady on top of one of the right. arcade she's scenes kind of, that kind was of real yeah, and, and then and, and then she's just like, naked in the background at yeah, and they just when they're fighting <laughs> To just fight in front of her. <laughs> and that's actually been, that's removed from the laser disc, <laughs> so it was definitely cut for nudity for sure. That happened a lot with Ocean Shores with, with between various versions, VHS, laser right. disc, uh, for she various reasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The club is the club so. has one of the versions. I can't remember which one has all nudity cut out. I think it's uh, ironically enough the, uh, the laser disc as well, which would be won't be so. Uh, no, we saw it on VHS, yeah. So it was uh, the Laserdisc version. It does not even have subtitles, uh, English subtitles. Uh, the Club Laserdisc, which is ironic because you would think like this is the best format, but it's not the preferred version of the film. And uh, so it doesn't surprise me that the Laserdisc promotion shows, which is from uh, from clearly more from the Chinese language print because it has the original title card. Uh, which we glanced over, uh, and you can see in Sylvia's blog, but uh, do you want to describe uh, the design of the original title card? Because it is rather special. Well, it's, it's uh, the, the three characters for Daloi Tai, uh, Fight in the Ring, are um, metallic. They kind of look like, you know, Terminator or some of these, you know, you know the, that sort of film. Mm-hmm. And it has little Nazi symbols as a part, integrated as part of the character, one of the characters. So it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, they're, they're they're paying attention uh, clearly in creating uh, even even that because you know credit sequences and end credits they usually were kind of slapped on movies uh, just uh, because they need to have them. Uh, but uh, they didn't they they weren't creative. Uh, many times so during the 80s and stuff like that so good, good on them for I mean I'm not saying the, the Nazi angle is good but good on them for kind of like looking at it in a creative way oh exactly and I would love to see the movie poster the original movie poster for this it must have been magnificent <laughs> I think they would have used those metallic uh, you know the, the metallic character they have like little rivets you know like it's like metal that's been riveted mm-hmm. so you know it, it looks like super post-apocalyptic sci-fi type stuff and I, I the, the movie poster must have been unbelievably amazing I wonder if uh, because the only poster I've seen maybe there's a variations of it but the only poster I've seen is uh, the one where clearly you have uh, Johnny Wang uh, on the poster mid after being hit because you see his face yeah that drawing yeah and I I tend to think that that's not a poster but maybe that could have been a you know the 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 LD cover or something like that Mm -hmm. so I don't know I'm just just curious because obviously you know the the art direction is amazing in this 
and I have a feeling that the posters would have been great too. They always knew that there were there were there were always artists available to spice up even your crappy ass comedy with a beautiful artistic poster, you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so I'm sure that that would have been easy to um, to to obtain, like uh, to to obtain um, artists to to paint it, because I'm sure it was painted as well. So uh, um, one, I don't know, maybe we can touch upon uh, some scenes that uh, doesn't make sense and therefore seem cut. I mean, uh, there, there are illogical things here that I don't get, but I kind of go with because. Well, the movie is going to take me good places, I think, in a way. Uh, in, in the scene where Ray Loy is uh, uh, hurt and stuff, uh, one of the girls comes in and has sex with him. Um, yes. Uh, and, but clearly it seems like a, a dangerous kind of thing that she might kill him in the process, that he knows too much kind of deal. But he, I think it's a case of a, huh, hmm. But I, I don't mind it. I, I'm, I'm on well, board with him. you just have him. to move forward. You exactly. have no choice. It, it's kind of like uh, you start to lose track for a little bit, but the entire atmosphere of the movie and the entire like vibe of the movie kind of keeps you going easily. I mean, the plot drive you in terms of what the movie is about and the basic plot, it's there. I mean, it's easily recognizable. So f- thankfully, it's not uh, abstract, um, uh, you know, abstract authors uh, fully. So. Uh, and 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 it is good subdued fun. I mean, with, with subdued, I'm um, I'm saying that because the, the atmosphere is not loud as such. It's just very. It's uh, atmosphere is almost as thick and smoky as the film literally is as well. It's no. It doesn't aim for comedy at all. Uh, it might be funny and insane. Well, it is. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's why it kind of works. And I mean, you can only. Makes sense of my comments, I suppose, if you watch the movie, listeners. But um, um, therefore, my favorite scene, regardless of what it is and what it means, is when the uh, two Nazi girls, because that's what they refer to on, on Hong Kong Movie Database, or Nazi women, uh, drown this poor girl on stage while uh, they're performing their wonderful, um, wonderful synth, synth pop uh, song. Um, and they're in tutus as well. Um, Bizarre. Great. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. So, I don't know. That, 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 that's kind of a favorite scene of mine. So, so, you're welcome to quote any like marvelous moments that, that you like, uh, for instance, Tom. There's, 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 there's many. Um, I do like... Um, because I gotta, when... state, uh, I gotta state, by this point, and pretty much the second half of the movie takes place within this lair, you know, a dragon's lair. And yeah. it's... It's where Kirk Wong and Co. really, not Edico, but company, uh, really play. They have playtime, uh, regardless if they were making a full-on serious statement or not. But clearly, the ideas are put forth here, a lot of them, and all of them, and we're in for a ride by the point they're, they're, they go for, you know, go for the takedown, if you will. So... Mm. Uh, I do find Elvis Joy's um, <laughs> popping up in it a bit strange, that whole scene. Um, he does a bit of bit of kung fu, makes some strange noises, which I, I'm guessing another you know quality uh, little touch from the dub, um, which he seems to be getting a massage from a uh, female that that is nude and jumps off him, and then he jumps up and he's in nice little red pants and then fights, uh, which <laughs> again is a odd scene I do like the the guys that come in they almost look like um, 
Mamoru Oshii's uh, guys, Ken. Um, oh yeah, I have Oshii yeah. in my notes, but yeah, the yeah. Uh, the, um, the, the um, Kerberos, uh, the Kerberos uh, core from the yeah. various Kerberos um, saga movies, like Red Spectacles and Stray Dog and whatever. Yep. Which yeah, which is which is the last scene. I do like that the um, the kind of the, the gas mask seems to be like the new handbag in in this future. That you know, <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of ladies seem to have them. And your drug but, tool of use because they clearly yeah. are are inhaling uh, something out of the um, out of the gas mask. And it appears like it's almost um, there's a variety of people obviously in these scenes, but it seems like it's a setting for the upper class as well to be in now. You know, uh, because it's not all street punks. In, in this scene, uh, in, in uh, or within this setting, so it's uh, yeah they gathered uh, the society, I mean, parts of society who wants a way easy way out or easy way in to not uh, because they rather be in there uh, compared to being on the streets, uh, cold and suffering and starving and whatever. Within that scene, that is, um, I can't believe I could, could have didn't notice it, but then, then again, the movie is so filled with uh, ideas. But when this girl, which turns out to be a transvestite, goes all uh, cuckoo and gaga, uh, you know, kind of drug, uh, drug fueled insanity type of bit, which doesn't last for long in the movie, but it's also this is Hong Kong cinema like I haven't seen it before, and I approve, yeah. I approve. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about you, Sylvia? Any before we move on to whatever we are going to talk about there at the tail end of the review? Any moment that stand out as you know that that literally makes your jaw drop even today after so many viewers? Um, of course, always the tree chopping scene is wonderful, and the thing that always just makes my socks roll up and down every time is Elvis Choice scene. He's so fantastic. And also, I adore the robots at the end. Mm-hmm. The robot fight that Wang Longwei has a fight with robots, who for some reason remind me of the original Buddha poem from 1964. Um, Walter Cho is in this, you know, evil underground lair. He's trapped in there, and he has to fight robots. And um, I just it just springs to mind. So it's you know, I'm like ah. I've seen that before. I've seen, you know, our hero fighting robots before. You know, in a... In a this this time, it, it you can... It's expected. But I, I find the scene absolutely wonderful because they are wearing those leather... You know, kind of looks like an S&M bondage mask and, and like, little Speedos, and that's it. Yeah. Um, but your I robots. Have to, yeah, and there's your robot. And Eddie... Eddie Cole is controlling... The, he tries to... He needs to override their thing, uh, their whatever, their system, and turn them off and shut them down. Um, and he is in the control room um, with all of these uh, panels of lights and buttons and switches, and he opens up this screen to control the robots, uh, the program to control the robots, and there's a robot on the screen that looks exactly like C-3PO, <laughs> which makes me laugh so hard. I, I just, I love that. But I do have to say that the um, the performance art in the club, uh, the transvestite with the uh, dress, all of these things are, to me, symbols of Western decadence. Mm-hmm. So transgenderism and transvestitism, um, free love, drugs, all of these are considered very evil in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, as, you 
Western stuff is evil. You know, we need to return to Chinese medicine, Chinese values, you know. So all of these things that they show, and they obviously are really enjoying showing them. Mm. You know, they, they love to show these, these, these very attractive drag queens singing and, um, you know, and, and the performance are, come on, don't tell me they did not have so much fun devising that scene even though they are supposed to represent corruption, you know, modern corruption. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. again, going back to my n- note about uh, the cast and crew must have felt that this is something we've never worked before uh, on before and, I, and maybe never again. I clearly, uh, I would think at least the crew, right. um, it, 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 you're right, it does come through. I mean, that, that whole... Uh, scene again where a girl is drowned on stage while the band keeps playing in the background you know it's an awesome song uh, underneath it and uh, and uh, you know it's a kind of free for all in terms of that and design and uh, it's it is actually quite wonderful despite you I, I don't sit there and go giddy while I watch it because the movie is so strangely subdued but uh, it's it's uh, it's it's incredibly memorable uh, despite them absolutely Maybe he aimed for scary, um, tense and scary. It doesn't come through as much in the state it's in now. But uh, it, it's definitely there. A kind of thick, tense atmosphere is definitely uh, there and, and dangerous. Again, they don't spice it up with comedy or anything, which is thankfully the case, you know. But it's hard, though, to feel, even even for me, taking into consideration the concept, trying to move through the film in a more serious way, it's very hard for me to feel tension. Mm, yeah. When Elvis Choi gets up and starts making kitty cat noises, yes. <laughs> yep, and and doing all of those bizarre postures, I cannot help but just start laughing hysterically. Because Elvis Choi, I can't look at him without laughing. Anyway, he's absolutely hilarious. He's a hilarious comedian. He's so gifted and talented, and he is over the top funny. I think. So how can how can it be tense? You know, when you've got Elvis Choi in a making kitty noises. That is, uh, that, that is uh, the movie breaking for a bit of a lighter moment, but not in that obvious like, ah, type of uh, you know, cheap, uh, cheap way out, which most Hong Kong movies did. So I'm, I'm very glad to have this scene in there. I, I don't get uh, taken out of it. And he, he, he seems to be performing some kind of Thai boxing as well, which is, and I say and some kind of, I don't think it's actually Thai boxing. I'm not sure because that actually is reflected in the final uh, boxing match with... Uh, with Wang Wenwei and the main villain, who I want to point out that all of the cuts, if you can notice, all of the cuts include the villain. Have you ever seen a Hong Kong movie that doesn't have a villain? It's in it for two scenes maximum. One yeah. on, on a TV, if it's even him, and uh, yeah. apparently in the fight scene, I wasn't sure if it was that guy, the leader. It is that guy in the fight scene. And you know, I don't know who he is, and I didn't have time to research, but he does look Korean to me. I'm wondering whether he's a Korean fighter. However, the point is, is that the cuts seem to be completely made around him. Mm. Uh, for instance, why is uh, Ray Lloyd's girlfriend, you know, falling madly in love with him and then killing him in the next minute? Um, yeah. We don't know. You know why? Because now she is the villain's girlfriend. She's identified as the villain's girlfriend in, in the Cantonese version. Um, I think that she couldn't help but fall in love with Ray Lloyd, mm-hmm. and then she is ordered to kill him later by the villain. And I think that all the villain scenes have been cut, and it could be a legal reason. 
don't really know. But that, to me, is the key here that everything has in common. Have you ever seen a Hong Kong movie that did not feature the villain? I mean, he's not in the movie. He's <laughs> absent. There's something wrong. He should be constantly going, ha, 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 yes. in this movie, and it's not. So he's gone. He's been cut out. And therefore, all of the scenes where he's furthering the plot have been cut out. So I, I think that that is what happened to this movie. But um, in in the end, in the fight scene, and I wanted to say that the Ocean Shores laser disc, the fight scene, the final fight scene, is a full two minutes longer. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, well, what, a, what an adventure. One is four minutes. The the Tyson DVD is four minutes, and the Ocean Shores laser disc fight is six minutes long, and it's wonderful. And there is a scene that he 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 repeats what Elvis Choi is doing, where he lifts up one knee and kind of spins his fists around and laughs, yeah. and he does it. And and now I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. I mean, this could be his own um, invention of his martial arts style, for instance. I don't know, but and we can't even see that in the Tai Seng version because it's been cut out. There, Elvis Choi is doing that for a reason, but I don't know what the, I don't know what the reason is. <laughs> so all I can do is laugh when I see it. You know. Uh, one of the cuts that I did notice uh, early in the film is uh, Wang Lungwei goes to some kind of confrontation. Cut to comes back with a lot of syringes stuck in his uh, in his back. Uh, something happened in between there as well and then they go to the doctor and uh, to that set you mentioned so it's, it's like out the door and then in the door essentially with a back yes, and, and she was supposed to have stabbed him in the back because they were all going to kill him he comes, he bursts into the club seeking revenge yeah. uh, because they've killed Ray Loy and a lot of things are going on and he's got to revenge his brother and all that so he comes in and she injects him with this stuff in order to save his life because she's in love with him. You know, who can resist? And Ray Loy, the other girl, is in love because she can't resist either. <laughs> so she injects him in order to save his life, which is why she then brings Sifu Eddie the medicine. Yeah, okay. And says, here, here, help, help save him. And, and, and Sifu Eddie says, no, I will turn my back on your horrible pharmaceuticals. Mm. I will only put, you know, natural herbal poultices on him, you know, which he then co- he ha- he then has to compromise and and go for a kind of a fusion treatment. So um, she supposedly does that to save his life. Which is kind of an interesting tangent to have you know, in the latter scenes where Eddie Coe has to kind of make that t- tough choice. So I, that that definitely came which I appreciated and and Edico in the latter stages of the movie is mainly in that control center type of room where where, where I think the design really comes to the forefront where everything is slapped together tied together melted together you know and we got clock radio displays on the walls and uh, uh, typewriters or keyboards or and, and TVs uh, you know regular TVs which looks great you know it's a little akin to Brazil only in Brazil the joke was that they had so the TVs were so small rather than uh, getting the office workers new TVs that just put a big old magnifier in front of it. <laughs> so <laughs> th- that was the joke in Brazil. But uh, I, I like that um, 
almost like dismantled technology that then was just melded together and uh, so that that room looks absolutely fantastic i think where yes, uh, where the co looks on and uh, and uh, tries to um, steer the situation as as best he can um, so um, I'm I'm really at the tail end of my notes. Other than I just want to say, I mean, there, there is action, there is some close quarters uh, action, and obviously a final fight. It's a it's nothing that stands out as such, but that doesn't mean it's bad. I just have a hard time to kind of make a verdict about the fight action because the movie is quite wonderful in all other places, you know. So, so I don't yeah. know if uh, you, for instance, Tom, do, do you have any particular notes on the action or you just no I mean it didn't it didn't really uh, strike me as a kind of a vital part of the uh, of the film really I think I think maybe it was kind of um, sold that way in terms of like the kind of the DVD we watched um, that it was kind of an action film but I you don't know what the fucking really... DVD that we watch it says on the back that this movie features the famous man versus kangaroo fight scene no it doesn't what? that's the wrong movie oh, that's the wrong movie that's Killer's Nocturne. Everybody knows that. So, <laughs> and I remember I hadn't seen Killer's Nocturne at that point. So I was like, "Hey, this sounds fun." <laughs> that wasn't in the movie. <laughs> maybe, maybe I think Elvis Troy comes the closest to being a kangaroo. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> Unless it's actually cut from the fucking movie and there's a presence there somewhere. Be a kangaroo movie, scene cut. Yeah, um, where maybe the villain fought a kangaroo. <laughs> um, I actually do have something to say on the uh, fight choreography for this film. Um, one is that uh, because the film has been cropped on all top and bottom, uh, and I'm sorry, all four sides mm-hmm. have been cropped, it's extremely hard to see what's going on. So um, it's hard to follow. Uh, like I said, the... Now, as far as I can see, the integrity of the fight scenes before the final fight scene are the same on both mm-hmm. uh, versions. The final fight scene is a whopper on the, the laser disc. It's, it's awesome. The guy that they chose to, to, to do that fight with Wang Wang Wei it looks to me like a, a real hardcore, either he's a, you know, a, a cinematic fighter or he's a real fighter. Because he's he really um, is is great. There are some action scenes that I feel reflect Wang Lungwei's type of action choreography, the kind of thing that he preferred to do. And one is the fight style, which is there's a lot of boxing and there's some kicking. It's hard hitting kind of thing. It's not the traditional kung fu where people are doing forms. None of that. It's not acrobatic. This is things that look like street fighting almost. Um, and that's what Wang Lung Wei tended to do with his action choreography. Um, and the other thing is that choreographing is also where you put people in a space. And Wang Lung Wei tended to uh, favor putting pe- a lo- whole, bottom, whole lot of people in a very small space and just have people just flailing. And it looks great on screen. It adds a lot of energy. And, and a lot of uh, sense of risk and, and and pain, maybe. People are getting punched and flying, and legs are flying up in the air. And, you know, everyone is just falling and flailing and punching each other all at the same time. And there are several scenes that are like that. So the interesting thing is that um, in the laser disc, you have the uh, Chinese credits. Thank God 
And if anyone wants me to sit down and go through all of those, I'm happy to do it. Um, the action choreographer, there are two. One, the assistant choreographer, that is the Hong Kong stuntman, Chan Siwa. And he, this is his very first action choreography job. He is really big, and he went on to assist in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Legend of Zoo, Fearless, True Legend. This guy is great, okay? He, he, he was the principal action director for Run and Kill, Daughter of Darkness, Red to Kill, Brother of oh. Darkness, and Hitman. This is pretty nasty action. This is, I love this kind of Hong Kong action choreography. Um, In all of those uh, category free moves as well, the, the, the action and the kind of struggles and the fighting and uh, uh, really reflects that as well. Uh, I'm, I'm saying fighting, but it doesn't have fight, action, run and kill, but uh, it's uh, which Wang Lung Wei is actually in as well. So. Yeah, but, but there is there is violence done to others, maybe we yes. should say that. And this is very gritty, it has a more of a realistic feel to it. So, you know, for instance, comparing to um, comparing to acrobatic films like, for instance, the Venoms, a lot of acrobat acrobatic stuff. Uh, it's show offy, you know, and it's fun and it's very light, and there's not a whole lot of pain going on. And also things that are forms, they're really focusing on on the techniques, you know. This is not that. This is really different. Mm -hmm. So that's the action choreographer is credited as um, that guy. Uh, Chan Siwa and the action choreographer no I'm sorry that was the assistant choreographer I'm sorry is Chan Siwa um, the main action choreographer is a person called Lun Melkam now that means and Ken you probably remember me trying to get to the bottom of this mm. you knew immediately that it wasn't a real name when I saw it it's a pseudonym and what that means is the curly hair and having talked to native Cantonese speakers and I want to thank Frank Jen and also Dai Ti Den for helping me uh, to under come to understand what this means. This was a term used in the 80s and sometimes it's still used for guys who had perms. Okay, so it's kind of like maybe saying like perm boy. <laughs> okay, this very thick curly hair but not always perms but it's kind of this natty hair. And it's, what it means is a very, very low-level triad wannabe kind of street punk, you know, gangster wannabe kind of guy. A guy just kind of greasy and nasty and, you know, that level. So, Lun Mo Kung is, is, a, is, a, is a pseudonym. So, I thought immediately, okay, who is that, right? Because the action choreographer is not being credited other than with this name. And one of the things that um, Wang Lung Wei is really, if you I don't know if you've noticed, but his hair is natty as hell. <laughs> he has a huge, um, thick, really natty hair. Really natty. And um, I think it's Wang Lung Wei. I do. And especially because the action choreography in this film, to me, has some of his trademark qualities in his, in, of his action choreography in other films. So I'm going to take that leap and I'm going to say that Lin Mokong is Wang Lung Wei. Now, if somebody knows, my God, please tell me, you know, it, that it's not him. So this is a, this, these are the kind of action choreographers that we have. We have this person 
Lin Mokong, whoever he may be, probably Wan Wenwei. And we have Chan Chihua, who was doing stuff like, you know, those films that I pointed out before. Um, the action in this movie is quite strong. How, however, and some of the scenes are quite good. And I actually think that Yun Mo is one of the fighters in a scene with Wang Wang Wei hmm. that is exceptionally good, but you need to really watch very carefully um, to, to, to notice because it's, it's very hard to... Our senses are so bombarded by A, the movie itself, and B, the cuts that, that create a large amount of incoherence. So it's very hard to focus on what is actually occurring moment by moment. And it's only because I've watched it so many times that that I've been able to finally figure it out, like, oh, wait, they're fighting. Let me watch this fight. You know? I mean, it took me a long time to get to that point. Um, there's some very good fights in this scene. I mean, in this movie, there's some very good fights. One of them, to me, is outstanding, is Wang Long Wei versus two guys that bust into the doctor's apartment to try to mess them up. Um, I guess the villain has, has decided that he's going to try to wipe them out, I suppose. That's what I'm guessing. Um, and I think one of the fighters, Yun Mo, but I'm not sure. It's an excellent scene. It is such a great fight scene. Unfortunately, it is cropped, and it's just too bad. It's just too bad because it's a really great fight scene. It's not very long, but it's extremely vicious. It, it is the best of that hard-hitting Hong Kong action, Hong Kong fighting, where these guys are willing to be knocked straight in the face over a banister and fall down three flights of stairs. And, and you know, I love... Twice. Yes, and I love that stuff so much. And we do get to see some of this, what I consider to be top-notch Hong Kong action choreography in this film. It's just so... We're just so disoriented by it that it's hard to know what we're seeing. So, you know, cut it some slack, guys. Watch it, like, five more times and and just watch some of these fights. They're really great. And even the extras are very high quality. So, you know, if you like Hong Kong action where people hit each other super hard, then you should like that action in this movie. And that's what I have to say about it. Excellent. Yeah, yeah you, you're very right. So it's sometimes you, you literally forget certain moments that you shouldn't forget. And, uh, and, and you're right, the action didn't stand out to me, but but that is not a bad grade. It's just like, I know there was action. I can't remember if it was super or... It wasn't super bad, but it, I, I just can't grasp at what did it contain. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the, but I would love to revisit it. That's the point, too. Yeah, the times. disorientation from all the other elements, I think, are what make it very hard for us to actually watch those fight scenes. Um, and I'm not saying that it's absolutely you know, jaw-dropping in incredibly good. No, no, no. But I'm saying that this is really solid Hong Kong action choreography, so you know, it's it's worth a second watch if you want to see people hit each other really hard, which I like to watch that. So. <laughs> do, do you, Tom, think that um, I, you, you know this for a fact that Kirk Wong never really returned to this style at all. I mean, the closest we've come is Lifeline Express, which is this yeah. horror comedy, yeah, but still very subdued and very real and uh, and very effective after doing that. So it, it, it's it's real. It makes sense, yeah, that the guy who made Flash Future Kung Fu went on to make Lifeline Express as well. Yeah, or, or what I, is I, it? I, I, no, I do agree. I think it's it's very. Uh, 
it's it's quite stoic, uh, um, same as kind of um, Lifeline Express. It's very kind of subdued and pulled back with its kind of just just everything really down to just the acting and uh, just even just pulling back on this. There's not any goofy comedy. I think what we said was about Lifeline Express um, that did it, so it is, well. It is funny comedy, but not but still yeah. also strangely subdued and even re- yeah. more realistic comedy in that regard. I think that's why we said yeah with the Lifeline Express the comedy was there, but it was it was kind of you know it was funny. It was it was more pulled back and subdued and fit with the tone of the rest of the film. Um, and I think it, please, it, it makes complete sense that he'd, he'd make something along along those lines in the same, you know, completely different tone, but also the same tone-ish. I mean, same tone, but obviously just a genre kind of switch up. Um, I think it makes complete sense, and it's just it's crazy how different in terms genre-wise and what he was willing to experiment, experiment with at this point in his career um, compared to like kind of what he got into, which was gritty thrillers um, for the rest of his career. It's crazy to see this part of his career in, in comparison to, to the later stuff. Oh, from the director of Crime Story, you can't, you, you can, you know, promo it via that, but you're gonna mess with people's heads when yeah. you, if you show them a double bill of Flash Future Kung Fu Lifeline Express, but in the best of ways. I, I think it's uh, fun to oh, place them in front of this, you know, even if they know mine, even if they know the big hit only. <laughs> Flash Future Kung Fu. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's all good fun. Um, before I do uh, some re- repetition in terms of availability, I'll, I'll just open up uh, the floor. Uh, have any have any other notes? Uh, if we start with you, Sylvia, any random notes from beginning, middle, or end of film? Um, I would like to mention. I know that this was touched on before. You um, mentioned the, well, you know, whatever this fortress is of this so-called culture society, the evil people, um, the architecture in that set is extraordinary. Um, it, I don't know what space they used to film in. It's remarkable. I think, Tom, you mentioned something about this video, which I've never seen, so I don't know I, I don't know what, what it is. But um, the architecture and the lighting that they used, the lighting effects that they used to create, basically recreate, a Blade Runner feel. Yes, it's, I think, a ripoff of Blade Runner. However, I think they really... Uh, went above and beyond in, in trying to recreate that. And I think that they did a good job in creating an atmosphere that is very similar to Blade Runner. Um, and I think that that deserves mention because it's very outstanding. The, the lighting in this is really unusual. Yes, yes, they're taking it from Blade Runner. But still, uh, for instance, as, as a contrast, um, Beardy made profile in anger, and he used a lot of elements from other movies uh, very unsuccessfully. Um, in this movie, I think they do it successfully. And they do create a very strong atmosphere with the mix of, you know, the set design, the architecture of this building. I don't know what that building is, but it's very remarkable. And it reminds me very much of the the kind of urban decay that was going on in Los Angeles in the early 80s, I grew up there, so I know, actually, of some of the buildings that were used in Blade Runner. Um, there was a lot of urban decay where these things had been um, built maybe in the 20s, and they were very opulent at that time. There was a lot of money, and it was abandoned, and mostly, you know, maybe it turned into a transient hotel, but it was very beautiful originally. So there's this sense of 
this new technology occupying these very old spaces in a very different way. Um, living on top of ruins in a way. And that's what's occurring here in, with, with, with this, you know, their, their fortress, whatever, whatever this space is. <laughs> we never see an outside uh, shot of it. We don't know what the space might actually, oh no, maybe we do. In my head, I've seen a, a, a sort of an establishing shot of a mansion, or maybe yeah, I'm just, uh, maybe they did when they're driving up in their really super slow little truck that they drive in. <laughs> drives like two miles an hour. Um, yeah, maybe there was, and so then we watch all of that's supposed to be going on in the inside. It's very um, remarkable, and I think you know, just hats off to them for this. Plus, their use of very um, inventive and creative lighting create an effect out of not a whole lot <laughs> so I think that's quite interesting and then also um, the music I think the, the, the main theme music as we know usually the way that people um, in Hong Kong cinema at that time dealt with music was stealing it from other places and, and inserting it so I mean if this had been a movie that was less concerned about its artistic production I think that it probably would have just used take my breath away because that's what everybody used. And, but this one was, was actually made for to, to, to fit into the movie. And did we touch on this before that they actually stole Velvet Underground and used yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think they're trying to match a Velvet Underground sort of feel. And, and Velvet Underground was a good choice. So and, and their their music was nominated for a award also. So you know, I yeah, think yeah, there is this uh, better music that's really compelling. I, I was never a big fan of uh, of uh, poppy uh, synthesizer music. I, I like the more somewhat dark and moody aspects of it, and the, it's definitely more that uh, more of that here, which I really appreciated. I like that bed of uh, music that lies over the movie. It fits with kind of a smoky atmosphere in a weird way. Yeah, I think that it fits. I mean, I'm not a fan of, of, of synthesizer music really at all, but I think that it fits very, very well. And so I think that the person who is responsible for the music or the band or the people, I think they, they did a really good job there also. And uh, that's it for me. What about you, Tom? Any, any more notes? Um, no, that's it. I, I had a small line on the soundtrack that said it was good, but uh, Sylvia's... Uh, no air blew mine out of the water so <laughs> I just say that yeah it's good and, and I like it and I, yeah it, it fits the uh, the mood of the film definitely right okay let's touch again on availability Ocean Shores had distribution rights and uh, uh, merely distributed the crop to full frame uh, version of the film I mean this movie was I think shot in 1.85 widescreen uh, rather than the big 235 widescreen, still looks cropped and too tight, uh, despite that sort of lesser cropping than the than a Shaw Brothers movie would uh, would have when presented in full screen. Uh, it was on in Cantonese language, in English language, on tape and laser disc, but there was never any edition with English subtitles. Um, might if this had gotten a Taiwanese VHS release, that there's possibly. Uh, your chance at a subtitled version, but so, so far, as far as I know, it is uh, uh, no no such in circulation. 
area, which is a shame. Tai Seng's DVD, therefore, is also the Ocean Shores cropped print, but as Sylvia mentioned, it's actually um, uh, significantly shorter in uh, in the ending fight scene. So if you have the laser disc, you can sort of compare, and uh, it's fun to own both. Uh, I don't think the laser disc had a had the English option. I think the, it only had Cantonese and Mandarin. So <laughs> it's it's complicated with Ocean Shore sometimes. So, uh, uh, but, but that that's what uh, kind of officially was out there. Obviously, Ocean Shores are not uh, repressing their catalog, which is a shame because they have some pretty kick-ass movies in there, obscure movies, uh, cropped uh, cropped or not, subtitled or not. They had a lot of Hong Kong movies that no one has ever heard of, uh, which I completely love and adore. Uh, also from the Hong Kong Digital Review that I mentioned we took the plot from, uh, John Charles wrote, uh, quote, an unauthorized version of the film has been released by Ground Zero Entertainment, not a quality label, uh, on tape under the title Mr. Digital. And in parenthesis, John writes, was Wu-Tang Future Kung Fu already taken? <laughs> and, he spells fu- and he spells Future F E W. Z H A H future. So uh, that was uh, therefore a bootleg of, um, of uh, possibly the, uh, the exact same um, right. version on the uh, Tai Tai Seng DVD. Probably, uh, uh, yeah, an even worse version of the Tai Seng version. Yeah, uh, because I presume it was um, dubbed uh, rather than Cantonese with no subtitles. Uh, but uh, you never know. Ground Zero was uh, ne- never any. Uh, equality label as such. Uh, I think uh, they they weren't presenting official versions, legal versions, despite having the Wu Tang Clan attached to their uh, to their releases and what have you. But um, what are you gonna do? Uh, it, uh, it is what it is. So take what you can get. Exactly. Uh, but uh, that's Flash Future Kung Fu, a wonderful exploration of Flash Future Kung Fu that we definitely couldn't have done by ourselves to this uh, extent <laughs> and with the amount of detail uh, that you brought, Sylvia. So. Well, my big, big, big thank you for that enthusiasm, enthusiasm, and and uh, yeah, and, and and passion for the movie, and uh, and uh, we definitely learned a thing or two, and kind of I hope uh, the movie gained a little bit more respect in those that those that possibly just laughs at it and don't uh, see its qualities at all, but uh, maybe you can't uh, judge them that harshly either because the movie is. Um, not presented in the way it really should, so uh, it's a it's a mixture, I suppose. But uh, uh, the the long and short of it is that uh, thank you for bringing uh, bringing your knowledge and uh, passion for this for Flash Future Kung Fu out of all things. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I yeah I I don't want to sound like I'm being super judgmental. I, the first two three times I watched it, you know, I thought exactly the same thing, and it wasn't until I had learned more about you know things being cut in general and stuff like that that I started to ask questions about it and say hey wait a minute where's the villain and things like that so oh yeah for, for sure the first time you know when I watched it I was what the hell is going on and and I was delighted anyway so mm. I think that's how most people feel they say you know this is batshit crazy and they love every minute of it anyway mm. yeah, yeah, so, I think so too. yeah that's yeah. that's the camp I was in for for many years and you know it's just after being willing to spend enough time with this because I, I do tend to like things that are absurd so um i that's why i spent some time with this movie you know so thank you for having me because i could talk about this for all day long so. <laughs> no worries and uh, it was a definite pleasure and uh, we're gonna 
do the contact information and all that. But we're going to announce what we're doing in the next Kirk Wong episode, the journey and trajectory as a filmmaker. Uh, uh, him as a filmmaker will continue and we will look at two movies Verdict Long, Bridget Lin, Raymond Wong with vehicle True Colors an action movie, action drama and and also his take on what The Untouchables did I don't know if it really was a pure remake but it is a, a story in the vein of what The Untouchables did and it's the movie Gunman with Tony Lung Adam Chang, you know, wonderful uh, villainous uh, turn, uh, and uh, wisely cool stars yeah. in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a lot of uh, badass, um, not a lot of, but at least one badass fire stunt that I remember from that movie where you kind of pray to God that guy survived. <laughs> and the actors survived. I think, it, it, sure. by the way, I, I, I tracked back, I think the actors were in the thick of it uh, in terms of the fire stunts, like Tommy Lung Kao Fai at least, and uh, so good on the 1987 or 1988 Hong Kong cinema produced by Choi Hawk. Do it! <laughs> Get into the fire! <laughs> if you don't do it, we'll find somebody who will. Want to be a leading man in Hong Kong cinema? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Kirk Wong might have uh, directed that. I think Choi Hawk was... Uh, that he um, even if he never got to direct a shot, he was always there supervising and making sure yeah. the product uh, came to life. And it's a pretty, pretty good movie, I think. Uh, been years as well since I watched it, so it's going to be um, uh, kind of a new experience for me. Uh, but uh, again, the contact information for for this show. This has been the director series on the Podcast on Fire Network and website again, podcastonfire.com. Bonus episodes, all the other shows, including this one, all there. Make your pick, take your pick. Uh, podcast on fire at googlemail.com is our email so hit us up with some feedback you can join the discussion over at facebook two places facebook.com forward slash puf network as well as in the, the discussion group just type in podcast on fire network in the search box or follow the link on the page i just said and that will get you the group and follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire my writing as i said category free ninja exploitation and taiwan black movies at sogoodreviews.com and little video reviews of that material at sleazykvideo.com and tweets about that silly material at twitter.com forward slash so good reviews the director series is on itunes because you can subscribe and if you like the show or even if you dislike it please leave a little star rating and even a short written comment that would very much be appreciated and you can also stream the entire network on stitcher application available to your iphone ipad android and blackberry and that is free and once you're in stitcher you can just type in podcast on fire network and that will get you each show on the network that is available on Stitcher. You can add them individually to your favorite lists. So thank you very much for listening to us via Stitcher. Over to you, Tom, thecinemashow.com. Yep, thank what you for everyone for checking out my reviews that are on there uh, already. Everyone who's, who's either liked or commented on, on my posts and my reviews, um, I appreciate it a lot. Um, I enjoy doing it and glad there's a... Uh, I know Ken likes them, so that's enough for me. and uh, over to you Sylvia your two uh, endeavors as well well um, come visit on the Heroic Sisterhood page on Facebook that's facebook.com forward slash Heroic Sisterhood we love to talk about movies so um, come on by and you don't need to be a lady to do it because 75% of our followers are males so don't be shy we like to talk about film I like to talk about film obviously and also, I am sort of blogging. I'm trying to get back into it now on AchillesGirl.blogspot.com where I talk about Hong Kong cinema. Um, and that's it. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, this has been, again, the director series on Flash Future Kung Fu. And uh, go out and watch it and uh, enjoy it and... Uh, and uh, rewatch it if you like it, and uh, pick up pick out details and email us if you saw anything uh, saw anything messed up that we didn't. And <laughs> I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to make a, a plea for anyone who knows any information about this. Uh, wow, get in touch with me. You know, get on Facebook and uh, let me know because I'm so interested in finding out. It's kind of like you know a Scooby Doo mystery that I'd like to solve a little bit. Mm-hmm. So any any anybody that knows anything about this, you know. Uh, please talk to me because you know I, I'd love to hear from you. And in the Scooby Doo sense, we uh, now Tom is going going to reveal that I was Kirk Wong all along, <laughs> <laughs> and you've been talking <laughs> talking about my movie, and I love you for it. <laughs> no one else loves this movie but you. <laughs> so uh, again, thank you, Sylvia. And this has been Kenny B with Tom KW and Sylvia Roram. So thank you for listening, everybody, and. Bye. Bye. Don't be a neo-Nazi. <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> <laughs>